Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Time for the betting ceremony. There will be no betting ceremony. You respectful tradition, uncle. Come, everyone. Pick her up and carry her to a wedding bed. Get rid of her gown. She won't be needing it any longer. Ladies, attend to my uncle. He's not heavy. There will be no betting ceremony. There will be if I command it. Then you'll be fucking your own bride with a wooden cock. Well met, Leal Bannerman and Warrior Maidens, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, a.k.a. Jack Death, and this is Episode 70. Joining me today is another special guest host and another prolific Ravens Calls contributor. It's Sir Patrick of Hindsight. Thanks so much for joining us, good sir, and welcome to Game of Microphones. Well met. Wow, I'm a little nervous here, but, uh, wow, this is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, uh... I, I just can't believe that I'm actually doing this. That's well. It's good to have you here, my friend, and it's uh, been a long time in the making. Yeah, for real. I, it's it's amazing to just find anybody that I can talk to about Game of Thrones that's actually like as into it as I am. So that's pretty amazing. I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones season three, episode eight. Second Sons. And for anybody who's not aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast from the perspective of someone who's current on the series. That means you've already seen all the way up through Season 7, Episode 7. So, if you're not current, there's still plenty of time to marry a Lannister and screw yourself over for life so you don't have to be spoiled. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> All right. So, what'd you think of this episode? Oh man, I love what a great episode for me to come in on too. Because wow, I, <laughs> awesome. One of your favorites? Some of my favorite moments for sure, at least, and some some key points that tie into some big ideas for me. Yeah, it's it's weird because like not a lot happens in this episode. Like, there's not a lot of action, but a lot of stuff happens. Like a lot of important stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and like a lot of like introductions of of things that are gonna be big. Yeah, really big. Like we've got a marriage, we've got a betrayal, <laughs> all kinds of stuff here. Yeah. Oh man. So what's your number five? My number five. Um, let me open that up. Actually, okay, no, but yeah, my number five is the Riverlands, the Red Fork, Riverlands topography. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, this is this is something I, I wanted to talk about for quite a while. Just uh, as I was telling you, I've been following Arya's path on Quartermaster.info, and I this is the first time rewatching where I've actually been paying attention to the map and 
where I'm more familiar with it, and I didn't really realize before just how basically the whole season is, a lot of it at least, is set up in the Riverlands with Arya, the Hound, and um, Rob, and Cat and all that. Right, that's a good point. I never really thought about that either. And just the the names of places that they go and the uh, as I was telling you um, off air the just the the tie-ins with the book and how right yeah and uh, do you remember when I when I we were messaging and I mentioned something about how like yeah the Riverlands is Florida and you're like what what is Florida and <laughs> yeah and I was like oh go get the world book and you're like well it's late I'm about to go to bed <laughs> but, so i made sure that you had it uh at the ready yep got it right here <laughs> so like if you open up to the map of the riverlands in the world book and that is page 150 this book is amazing by the way the art is so sick so like the you know every map that you see of westeros or planetos is to different scale there's different proportions and slightly different shapes to things, but the world book, I would assume, is the closest to... Like a definitive version? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Or at least it's the way that George Martin wants us to really take it in and get a sense of it. Yeah, like there's a painting of the Iron Throne on page 46, again, of uh, The World of Ice and Fire that's done by Mark Simonetti, and George R. R. Martin says that that's like the most definitive depiction of the Iron Throne. Yeah, it's badass. It's like thirty feet tall. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, so, uh, go ahead. Okay, so if uh, if you're familiar with the the way that Florida looks, yep, yep, it looks like a basically kind of a hyperbolic Florida. What? There's uh, the where the God's Eye is is. Roughly about you know, the uh, the Lake Okeechobee in Florida. Interesting. And there's like there's like the Panhandle. Oh yeah, over on the left there. Yeah, the way the way the whole thing definitely kinda, looks like Florida. Yeah, the way it kind of hangs down like that. Um, and the fact that there's like swamps with lizard lions, <laughs> aka alligators. Yeah. So and uh, I think that's that's um. That's pretty crazy in itself. Also, um, uh, tying back into my my Rider in the Night nice. video, uh, one piece of information that I, I found out since then was that the the guy who had his um, it was Sil- Cyrus Reed who started this cult that believed in this um, concave hollow earth. Oh right. He. Uh, he started his um, cult in a little town called Estero, Florida. <laughs> Epic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds like Westeros. Uh-huh. Estero, Westeros. Yeah. Now, if you look at the map, um, if you recall the, uh, was it the, the Children of the Forest who tried to hold off the, was the First Men or the Andals? Yeah, the First Men. Yeah, they they tried to separate it, and that's how the neck was created. Oh, right. They tried to use water magic to to cut off the path from basically the riverlands up into the north. So it just basically didn't 
completely work, so it just sort of brought on all this swampland instead. Shit. So, but that basically creates the neck, and so you can imagine that it used to look different, and basically, I mean, can you see how the, the, it looks like an eyeball? The god's eye? Yeah, the god's eye itself, like, would be, like, the pupil and iris of the eyeball that is, um, Riverlands. Except that it's not completely, it's sort of a misshapen eyeball, <laughs> because the inner corner of the eye would be where the that panhandle is. Oh, right. And then the outer corner would be the salt flats. Oh, I gotcha, like down by uh, Maiden Pool over there. Yeah, so, and the, just like the way that all the rivers are just kind of like veining through it, look looking like, you know. Like a red eye. <laughs> yeah, like veins in an eyeball. And then there's all of this, this, this intrigue, like, you know, uh, um, Melisande, when she encounters Arya and, like, looks into her eye and tells her about all these eyeballs, or the eyes of people she sees that Green eyes, uh, Arya will one day kill. Eyes will close forever. Yeah. And then I, I found all this, like, extra, like, interesting, like, eyeball imagery throughout Arya's journey where... Um, like High Heart, when they when they camp out there, it's supposed it's supposed to be safe because you can just see all around you. Oh yeah, with and all then, the uh, werewoods cut down up top there. Yeah, and so the it's the vision that you get, um, all around is what makes it safe because nobody can sneak up. And then when um when we meet Barrick for the first time in this season. He's missing an eye, and... Oh, yeah, lots of eyeball stuff, huh? And then Arya goes blind, too. Yeah, the Hound says, you've seen better days, and I, and I won't see them again. I. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, right? So, and then there, okay, so, and you've got, like, these places called um, the Crossroads, and High Heart, and you've got Arya with her, with her sword needle, well, I guess she didn't... She doesn't have it at this point, but it's around. In, in this, <laughs> yeah, it's around. We, you know, we. Uh, Who has it? Uh, Polliver at this point. Yeah, yeah. She thinks she's not gonna get it back. I think, but little does she know. But um, so so when they're they're doing the Hound's trial by combat, it, there's you know he's basically saying, you know, it's all about his sacred vows and whether he's broken them. So, you know, you got sacred vows, high heart, in at the crossroads, needle, and all this eyeball imagery. And it's basically boils down to a pun. It's like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> right? That's great. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I, I posted that on Reddit, and then someone responded... You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out the the whole end of this was just uh, like, why did the chicken cross the road joke? <laughs> <laughs> and then as soon as he said that, I was like, oh my god, wait, what has Ice and Fire both been trying to do this whole time? Get to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Danny just wants to cross the narrow sea, and the Night King just wants to cross the wall. 
<laughs> oh, it's too fucking funny. Yeah, <laughs> I really, I really feel like, um, you know, when when George was writing this, he wanted to do something as epic as Tolkien, but he didn't have all of that. The like, you know, because Tolkien was like, he was like a linguist and a and a professor, and he basically already had this whole like world and all these languages and cultures just like made up, and he just kind of wrote the stories based on something that he already had and George always he talks about how when what you read in the works of Tolkien is basically just the tip of the iceberg and then there's like all this underneath the water and he says with with me it's more like at least when I started I just had a raft with some ice on it floating <laughs> trying to create this illusion that I've got all this stuff underneath oh, and man, so so funny yeah and he talks about how you know, I, I needed the characters to bleed. I, ne- I needed the story to breathe. And I feel like he kind of just, he, to really create this world, like, quickly, I think he took stuff like that, like, you know, events and characters from history, but also from, like, comic books and mythology. And Yeah, he totally does. Yeah, all these puns and things. Like, uh, oh, yeah, the other one, um, but and also just to kind of like seed his story so that like yeah he is a farmer he plants seeds and then like cultivates the story yeah exactly um this uh uh I don't know if you're familiar with the works of Neil Gaiman the, the Sandman oh I think so yeah the sound the Sandman sounds familiar yeah it's a, a comic book right right he wrote American Gods oh right yeah I think I knew that too yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, Neil Gaiman is somebody that when I read his work, I'm just like, how can anybody write like this? But then I saw this um, documentary on George R. R. Martin, and Neil Gaiman is one of the commenters, and his eyes are just wide as he's describing the way that George writes. I'm like, wow, the way that I like geek out about Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman geeks out about George R. R. Martin. About George. Yeah. <laughs> So like and, and yeah, I'm like, how does a human being do this? Like, so I'm pretty sure George's uh, writing studio is kind of like if you go to like a detective's office or something like that, you see a cork board that's just full of different strings going in every different direction. Oh and, man, uh, that's probably what his his whole house is like. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I, I wonder. I I sort of wonder if he does, but they didn't. Like, I saw his writing studio in this documentary on YouTube. And, like, he, he actually bought the house across the street so that his, like, because his wife just wanted him to get out of the house what he's writing. Like, <laughs> the, the, well, okay, the, the reason I brought up, um, well, Neil Gaiman was just uh, because, well, his, his book, The, the Sandman, is basically a, the story about, like, gods and deities and then, like, interacting in our world. It's almost the antithesis of this because you, you just, like, you see the gods and follow them. But, um, he uh he used um like he'll bring in the gods from different um pantheons and different world cultures and they'll all interact. Oh, it's cool kind of like a Stargate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have like you have like Egyptian gods and Norse gods at a table together like talking. Um anyway, so so he he introduced the character of Lucifer from Christian mythology and you know from um John Milton and everything. And he later, his, uh, 
this other author named Mike Carey started writing the the Lucifer series, you know, based off like a spin-off from the Lucifer from the Sandman and in the forward to one of the books he's talking about how when Neil Gaiman told him you you'll be amazed at how these characters write themselves. And he talks about like yeah, I had this idea for what Lucifer's journey was going to be, but then I would just think, well, no, he wouldn't do that. This is what Lucifer would do in that situation. Hmm. And so, yeah, tying it all back to George, I feel like he kind of just seeded everything with existing characters from history, mythology, and whatnot, put them in this world so that I think there's just a certain point where he just kind of, like, channels these characters and thinks about, okay, well, what would happen and what would, what, how would this character respond? And that's the way the story kind of has life of its own. I agree. That's why it's like taking him so long to write it because he's got to make sure that everything sort of fits and makes sense and fits all the archetypes and everything. Yeah. Basically a giant mythological jigsaw puzzle in five dimensions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. He, 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 what was he saying? Um, he, like I said in like his like recent blog, he, he was talking about how he basically has to, when he's writing, nothing else exists but the characters the the outside world and fans and and um, agendas and deadlines and all these things and that that's basically what's been sort of keeping him is all these outside distractions because he basically just has to shut himself off from the outside world and just kind of focus inward <laughs> yeah it makes sense <laughs> a lot of distractions yeah so uh you know tr- um trying to reel it back in and tie it back into this episode uh <laughs> the uh the episode it starts off with uh I got so much to talk about with this and I always I love just going on tangents here. <laughs> Fuck yeah. But uh uh just so um yeah. Uh so the red fork is where Arya and the hound are and I I just I noticed okay, it's significant because like the red fork it's sort of like a you know I I feel like the okay, the the trident sort of represents this idea of the different paths that characters could take. There, or, you know, just the, like you know, the, the this has always been about like characters and their the decisions they make. Definitely. And y- you you can always you can sort of like follow like, oh man, if only this person had decided to do this instead of that, and just how different everything would have turned out based on just like these like just like moments just of just the decisions they make in any given moment and just like you know the fact that uh the hound is going to take uh, Arya to uh the twins oh yeah how about that she doesn't know that her mom's brother is going to be marrying a fray so she thinks that the hound is taking her back to Cersei at King's Landing but he's actually taking her to her mom yeah. I mean, there's a cool uh, moment between the two of them where the Hound is basically like, listen, bitch. Yeah. You know, there's people much worse than me out there, like people who rape little girls and oh, stuff yeah. like that. And he's like, you know, I saved Sansa. And uh-huh. she's like, what? And he's like, ask her if you ever see her again. Yeah. <laughs> and that sort of makes her uh, like question, like, who is this guy? You know, like, what what is his real intent? Yeah. And she discovers, you know, that he's not taking her to Cersei. He's taking her to her family. And I think it's like sort of like the first moment where she sort of opens herself to the hound and they sort of create a connection. It's like that seeing past the scars moment. And she realizes that, you know, like even if she's not ready to admit it yet, that he's maybe he's not such a bad guy. Yeah. 
I, uh, I, uh, I recently discovered this podcast called, uh, Maester's Monthly, I think it's called. Sounds cool. Oh, it's great. It's, it's run by the, um, the editors of the, uh, A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. Nice. Yeah, so they're very knowledgeable, and, um, uh, yeah, very good podcast. Highly recommend it. But they were, they were talking about, uh, at this point in the book, I know you don't want to get too much into the book, but... There's like Arya is, it's like she's, she has still this like this black and white idea of the world. So it's like she can't really fit the Hound into the way that she she views things because things are either good or bad or. And it's not till she gets to the actual House of Black and White that she sort of realizes gray exists in the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. <laughs> uh-huh. It's funny because she's like, she thinks it's the black water that they're looking at. It's like, no, this is the red So fork. just for listeners who might not be aware, the uh, tr- the Trident is a river that sort of bisects the Riverlands. And it's it starts as one river and then splits into three facing west. And the uh, the lower river of the three is called the Red Fork. The middle prong, you could say, is called the Blue Fork. And the northernmost uh, river is called the Green Fork. And they're at the Red Fork right now, which is about a little over halfway between uh, King's Landing and the Twins. So they pretty much have to cross the Red Fork, the, the uh, Blue Fork, and the Green Fork to get all the way up to the Twins uh, where they're going for the Red Wedding. Yeah. Um, and the, it's interesting, the, the different forks, like... Um very like momentous occasions like seem to keep happening at the trident yeah like like, uh, like Rhaegar being killed yeah that's like probably the primary example and then their Torin decided to kneel to um Aegon the Conqueror right and that was at where the now the is located the Inn of the Kneeling Man, which is also located right below the Red Fork yeah I think I think the inn was named after that I think they were yeah um, and, uh, something is, Arya beats up Joffrey at the <laughs> Trident. <laughs> I, I, you let a little this. girl disarm you. Uh-huh. And you, you look at the way that Joffrey is now, like, okay, like, um. Dead? G- guys, like, <laughs> well, okay, well, the way he is at this, at this point in the show, <laughs> um, the way that, uh, like, the, male development um guys the male brain is more prone towards uh like fetishes and a lot of that has to do with whatever is influencing them like while they're like first developing sexually but you see that like Arya basically humiliated him in front of Sansa and he got beaten by a girl and symbolically castrated because she like took his sword and he lost his Oh yeah, bright roar, and then he was shamed by his father about it and all that. (laughs) Now, so he absolutely loves like humiliating Sansa now because she saw him, you know, for who he really was. And yeah, that's a good point. Really good point. Now you're the one who will be humiliated, Sansa. Uh huh. And now he he loves you know watching girls get beaten because he got beaten by a girl. Yeah. Yeah, you're getting into the psychology of Joffrey that totally nails it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it was definitely a really influential moment in his development, this uh, one moment we're talking about. Uh-huh, and it all started at the Trident, and it's just like, you know, things had just gone differently, like if Arya had been sparring with her butcher's boy in a different place, or Yeah, that's crazy, whatever, man, like that you know, whole like, aspect of uh, Joffrey's sadism, like that whole element of it may never have developed otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I, totally. <laughs> Epic. I mean, yeah, other things have been involved, like his, like his mom influences his uh, tendency to want to just be a dick when he like says things. <laughs> yeah, just her whole attitude in general. He seems to have inherited. And his father, the only influence from his like the, his perceived father is just that like smash things. It's so great to smash <laughs> things to just yeah, just smash things and like try to be tough and everything yeah. like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. You must be great by smashing things. All that. <laughs> Hulk smash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Robert smash. Okay, so, uh, you know, we got the, the red, green, and blue forks of the river. Each one is actually a different color, too. Like, there's uh, algae in the, the green fork, and there's, like, the red dirt or something is flowing through the, the red fork. And the blue, Interesting, blue so they're actually sort of like the color of their names. Yeah, they're actually that color. And uh, so back to the eyeball thing, uh, have you ever heard the term trichromatic theory? Mm, I don't think so. It uh, it basically ties to... Um, how... It's like uh, like optics, like red, green, and blue component cables for a TV. Yeah, you can... So we got all this optic stuff, this red, green, and blue forks of the river uh-huh. being associated near the god's eye, all within the eye-shaped uh, riverlands. Tons of optics references. It's crazy. Yeah, and just the way you, you can combine red, green, and blue to create any color in the spectrum. And uh, I find it also interesting is that you've got, we have three different colors of fire in the show and books. Wildfire, which is green. Mm-hmm. And we've got... Regular fire, which is red. You know, basically red. If you take a photo of it, it comes out red. And then you go. And then we have blue fire too. Do we have blue fire? Sarian's fire. Yeah. Damn. And also something that uh, people kind of miss out on is uh, when Varys was getting cut and his parts were put into the fire, the flame turned blue. Ooh, interesting. I forgot about that. Yeah. Damn, it's so nuts, man. Like, all this optic stuff, and then to specifically add those three colors of fire, which are associated with optics, too. Yeah. So so that's why I call it, uh, I say it's Florida, because it's Florida, but it's like a morphed eyeball. Uh, it's crying into the salt pans. So to wrap it up and bring it back home, um, they're at the Red Fork, and they're on their way to the Red Wedding, and the hound is unknowingly on his way to serving R'hllor. That's true, the Red God. <laughs> the Red God. Craziness. Uh, yeah, the Hound, I think he, he serves death and doesn't really, he's not that cognizant of it, but his horse's name is Stranger. Oh yeah, like the Stranger, the uh, the God of Death. Yeah, and then... Then that conversation with her about uh, how he's the same as her father, like how they both kill and they both like it. <laughs> yeah, and he, he kind of looks at everybody as like a killer. Like when he's like talking to Sansa 
and he's like, you know, she's like, I'll stay here, Stannis won't hurt me, and he's like, listen, Stannis is a killer. Your father is a killer, and he's like, and it's like he talked himself out of taking her with him, because he's like, well, wait a minute, everybody's a killer. I guess you might as well just get used to it, because... He and Arya are, like, the two largest agents of death in the show. Right? And they, they both serve the same god without really realizing it. And it's so, classic. They're meant to be together. We need a spinoff. Yeah. Oh, dude, I would love... Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> when I, when I left a, a, a voicemail talking about, like, I said, like, you know, that the Gregor isn't exactly a pater familiar familiaris or whatever and then somebody wrote in and said you know defining what pater familiaris is and but they said sandor instead of gregor um when they were quoting me and uh i was just like wait no dude sandor it would be an awesome pater familiaris i would pay to see that sitcom (laughs) What exactly is a uh, pater familiaris, uh, Latin father or something? Yeah, it's a, a father, and I, I would just love to see the hound as like you know a sitcom dad and like Arya as his daughter. Like, <laughs> That'd be the best. Shut up, you cunt, <laughs> and eat your breakfast. Yeah, that would be the, <laughs> <laughs> that. That would be his catchphrase. That like right before it freezes and you hear the applause, it's just like, "Shut up, you cunt." <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. <laughs> man, I love the hound. <laughs> oh man, but um, one one quick thing about Arya and the Hound is, you know, do you know he had a sister? The Hound? Yeah. Oh man, um, I don't, I don't know. Either I didn't know about that, or if I knew, I forgot. The yeah, and he he even says like a sister I can't remember in the uh, the history and lore of Westeros video. Did Gregor kill her? Yeah, it, it, or it's heavily implied. He's, he's just like, um, you know, soon after servants and started disappearing around the keep. And even a sister I can't remember. Oh, man. And so I feel like... Of course, Gregor just gets away with it all. Yeah, I feel... Well, yeah, Gregor just, you know, nobody was going to say anything. And if they did, they weren't going to survive, but nobody... And basically, he, he hates his brother, and he's afraid of him, and he'll never take the knight's oath because his brother's a knight, and he's just like, you know, like, you see what, what kind of, like, nobility knights are, and like, killing little girls and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's just basically, he's vicariously protecting his little sister without really knowing it. Oh, that's a great point. Makes perfect sense. And, yeah, imagine, like, what kind of a killer she would have grown up to be. Because, you know, obviously, 
you know, um, killer instincts run in their DNA, I think. Oh, yeah, big time. That'd be one more big warrior woman for Westeros. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I, whenever I think of Arya and the Hound, I just think this is like, this is like a, this is like a, a really like a hound taking care of like a little wolf pup. <laughs> and just, just like the way it would be. And, uh, kind of makes me think of that Fox and the Hound movie. I just think of, oh, the best of friends. The best of friends. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? Always, but yeah, we can move on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I always got so much to say. All right. So my number five is Sam the Slayer. Nice. Pretty pivotal moment for the uh, the development of Samuel Tarley in this episode, where he finally decides to step up and overcome his cowardice for the first time we've really seen. Right. Yeah. Um, is it? Well, at least the first major so. one. Um, yeah. I mean, he 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 stepped up and stole Gilly, which was a pretty ballsy move as well, um, yeah. knowing the consequences that he could have received from for doing that. But yeah, this is the first time where he like really, really steps out of the comfort zone, you could say. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, where he, he fights back. Um, I mean, we, we the first time we see him, you know, he's he's shows up at Winterfell and he's he or, sorry, not Winterfell at Castle Black, and he's just being beaten relentlessly by all the you know the Grand and Pip and all these guys, right? And uh-huh. he won't fight back. Um, no, please don't hurt me. Right, so this is the moment where he says, "Fuck that, I'm fighting back," you know, and it's it's Gilly and the little little nameless bastard that <laughs> that, that puts him over the edge. <laughs> he's like, "You're not taking that baby, you son of a bitch," you know? Yeah. And stabs that White Walker. So like, epic. In that moment, he is. I believe. In that moment, he is the prince that was promised. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is at least you know he is the hero and totally. I, I feel like the the hero is whenever like you know later on he he's talking to Pip at the the um the epic battle when the the wildlings are trying to come in. And he's ta- talking to Pip about being afraid and saying like how, you know, you know he he's right. afraid, but like in that moment, there he it was like he yeah. wasn't himself. Right, he was somebody else. Um, he was a sword. Yeah. A shield. Oh man, and that's so great too, because the only time you can be brave is when you're afraid, right? According to Ned Stark. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's at the uh, Battle of Castle Black. Yeah. I believe right. Uh-huh. So so cool. Um, so I I don't know. I just thought it was kind of a cool scene. Uh, you, you know, Gilly. You can tell she likes him. Otherwise, uh-huh. she wouldn't have run away with him and, and everything. But uh-huh. you know, they're chilling in the dark and the cold, and she's like, "Come under the furs. We can keep each other warm." You know, after he, <laughs> after he fails at uh, <laughs> trying to light a fire. Yeah. But then he's I, using. I like, sorry. I sorry. No. Uh, I I like I like how. Um, how the, it kind of like plays out where he's like being he like brings her he gives her his mom's thimble and she's like all oh, that sweet and then later on she's like i don't have any use for your goddamn thimble like, <laughs> take it back safe. you dumbass and so so then she he like so, so there's this whole like hot and cold between them and then like right then yeah she, it's she's true like she's like fire oh we don't ice, need a fire say. come share my furs right and then, <laughs> and, then, and then then she has that like thing where she's like 
do you sometimes use big words to confuse me? <laughs> yeah, he's like, I suppose it's a rather philosophical difference between a wink and a blink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, a what? What the fuck are you talking you, You're just trying to fucking confuse me on purpose. Let me, I'm going to go make know, a fucking fire. Just ch- just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> she's like, yeah, forget these blankets. Now she doesn't want to share them. Yeah, now she doesn't want to share them. That's and then, great. And, and then like, he, he like kills a fucking white walker yeah. for her. It's also a, like another pivotal moment in another way because not only is it a pivotal way for Sam, but it's a it, you know he's overcoming his cowardice, like I said. But it's a pivotal moment for the audience as well because before this moment, we had known the White Walkers as this sort of like monolithic force that seems supernatural and unkillable, and <laughs> you know like every time yeah. we've seen them, they've just been so powerful, and not nobody's got anything on them. So the, this moment where he stabs the White Walker with the dragon glass dagger, and we learn that these are mortal beings, you know, that they can be killed. And so yeah. it sort of changes our outlook. Um, and it, it's like the, the, the cultivation of hope, you know, there's a, a little bit of hope born in this moment where we can, we can yeah. see the light at the end of the dark of the long night, you know, <laughs> yeah. potentially dragon glass. Like, Oh man, I, uh, yeah, this was actually uh, my number one for this because, like, the oh, if cool. I'm if I'm like watching it full attention, it gives me chills every time when I just see Sam's face as he like shouts like "No!" and yeah. like, runs at the thing. Yeah. Um, I uh, I haven't seen the deleted scenes from season seven, but I I've heard about them, and apparently there's one where Gilly is telling. Sam that her and her sisters referred to the White Walkers as Craster's sons. Right. Yeah, I heard about that too. Crazy. Yeah. So um there's got to be something unique about Craster, you know, these these White Walkers are interested in his bloodline for some reason. So I wonder yeah. who is this guy? It, Who's he uh-huh. related to? Uh, in in a couple episodes back when they're like, you know, Sam's failing at lighting a fire and Gilly uh, to take the the log off, and he says, "You know your fires." <laughs> now, uh, you, you think maybe she's a Targaryen? Oh, that Craster could be like descended from um, Blood Raven or something like that. Possibly, I th- that's the the latest theory that's going around is that perhaps Blood Raven was his father. Mm, interesting. Anything's, My little anything's possible, man. Yeah, my little pet theory was that Amon was his father, personally. Oh. Uh, yeah, that could be possible too. He could be. Uh, he could be. Uh, I mean, there's so many options, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's uh, interesting. The you know I, I feel okay so. Oh man, yeah, where's it's okay, so for like they always obfuscate things in in a way that makes it more intriguing. Like, okay, well we can't know like Gilly doesn't know what last names are. Right. That was so funny too. Yeah, so um My father was a Tarly too. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean his name is Samuel Tarly also. He's Randall <laughs> Tarly. <laughs> yeah. I I think I heard something about like a theory that um that the Night King was a Mormont. Something oh. like that, and like, uh, in I noticed in this episode when they're talk like there, there's that discussion, and she's just like Mormont. She's like, no, that's a last name, right? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe he, maybe his last name really is Mormont. 
maybe. There's a cool band called Mormont. It's a duo with a drummer and a bassist. Uh, they got some videos on YouTube. I recommend checking that oh. out. Do they do, do like um, Song of Ice and Th- Fire themed stuff? I think so. Yeah. It's been a while what since I heard them just once or twice, but uh, I remember it was cool. What if um, that was just their last name or something? <laughs> no, it's definitely a reference to uh, a okay. game, game of Thrones. Um, so yeah, Sam was definitely right. Uh, there, there is, or I mean, sorry, Gilly was definitely right. The, uh, a wink is on purpose. So, uh-huh. so the little unnamed bastard blinked, <laughs> blinked. At yeah, Sam. it wasn't a wink; it was a blink. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm surprised I, that I like Sam that. was pushing this. Yeah, interesting. It's just I think that's like his way of, uh, it's just his way of normally talking. And I was kind of considering this, like. Imagine like Randall Tarley, like you know, dealing with him and him just being like, "Oh well, I, I suppose it's there's a philosophical," and <laughs> Randall just being like, "Shut up, <laughs> shut up, boy." Because <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like starting to like look at, at Randall from a different perspective, just because, like you know, it's always more complicated. It's more complex than it seems at first, you right. know, with anybody. And uh, I noticed in the the history and lore video narrated by Randall talking about what he did to Sam and sending him away. Oh, I don't think I've seen very, that. Oh, it, it's pretty good. At the, at the very end, um, he says, you know, this house has stood for hundreds of years. I won't let it be wiped away in one generation, Ooh. no matter how hard my family cries. And then it shows, <laughs> shows a video. It shows an image of his face looking like he's like on the brink of tears or like Himself? holding back tears. Like interesting. He, I think he really does. I think he actually loved Sam, and didn't want to send him away, but knew he had to because his entire like family legacy is built on being being hard. Yeah, being a manly man. Interesting. Um, for anybody who's not aware, the history and lore segments that we're referring to tend to be bonus features on the Game of Thrones Blu-rays or DVDs, but uh, a lot of them are on YouTube. So if you want to check them out, there's some really cool stuff. They get all the actors to narrate them, like you know um, Nikolai Coster-Waldo. Jamie does a Lannister one, and Jorah does one, and they're yeah, they're really cool, really well done. Yeah, they're 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 some are some are better than others. Yeah, like <laughs> the the one that the the house Clegane one is probably my favorite. Nice, Joffrey Joffrey doing the red keep. Oh man, yeah, the the Bron like the anything by Tywin. Tywin does a few like just the ones with the really like strong actors. Yeah, they're always much. good. Yeah, Baelish does a couple too, or at least one. Um, yeah. Oh, so uh, pretty interesting there. This is our first hint that, you know, the little nameless bastard, as I keep referring to him, could be, um, could be named after Sam because uh, they're talking about p- prospective names, and she likes Tarly's name. She likes Randall. Um, she wasn't too happy with Sam at that moment because he was a weakling, but uh, after this, when he kills the White Walker and saves Sam's life, or little baby's life, uh, it, you know, it's it's sort of foreseeable that she would decide to name him Sam. But what's the first name that Sam lists as potential uh, potential names for the baby? Do you remember? No, what it's was Duncan, it? of course. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I always like you know Duncan's a pretty rare name, so it's cool yeah, to see it pop up every that, once in a while. That is that is pretty uh, at least in American culture. 
pretty auspicious. Yeah, so it's 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 one of the more frequent names in the you know Game of Thrones universe, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Gaiman, Felden, Christopher, Craster. She thinks no, not a good choice, Gilly. You don't want to name him Craster. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> come on, Gilly. <laughs> and then uh, it's funny too, and she says Randall's a handsome name, and Sam sort of like switches on a dime. He's like. No. Please don't name him Randall. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, the tone and that, changes when, entirely. Yeah, that's when she starts to kind of like get it, or he starts to kind of win her back. Right, over, they sort like, of relate on an emotional level, and she's like, "Is your father cruel like mine?" And they sort of connect. Yeah, he's cruel. It's a different sort of cruel. a different manner of cruel. <laughs> oh man, yeah. and how creepy is that? And all the birds start going nuts, and that's what draws them outside, and they're just like oh, man, everywhere. The- the atmosphere of the the birds just the way the tension builds as they're like as they're like perching on the tree one right. by one i wonder if uh, george r r martin was a fan of um of uh alfred hitchcock's the birds oh man you know he he must have been yeah cuz having like a, a little like a couple of like scenes like this where they're just the birds going mad everywhere it just sort of elicits that like terror like um chaotic feel of the, that movie the birds where there's just stuff flying around everywhere and it's just madness you know yeah <laughs> cool maybe he was traumatized oh we get another big moment here when um sam steps up to the plate walks outside pull with um unsheaths his sword and the white walker just grabs his his blade and it shatters yeah how about that that was so cool uh-huh yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize like they they actually like can be hurt by iron, I believe. Hmm, that, interesting. But, so that's why they they break them or they right. break the sword. Yeah, swords. they probably can be they can probably be wounded by it. Um, yeah, he but they're so cold that it like snaps on contact or just yeah, like, that, crashes. That's, or that's crazy because they they basically fight with giant icicles. Yeah, and that's like Super a subversion of the ice. way it normally is normally <laughs> it's like you could be stabbed with an icicle but you could easily break it <laughs> <laughs> they switch it on us those bastards yeah crazy. <laughs> so that pretty much um wraps up my number five i think um all that white walker action sam the slayer one thing on that um just incidentally uh, a wink is intentional there there's a part in season seven right on the episode seven when John is on the boat asking what the population of King's Landing is. Right. And as Tyrion is telling him it's about a million people, uh you see Longclaw's eye, like a glint of light hmm. goes into it, like as though it's winking. Huh. And it's like, is is it deliberate or not? <laughs> There's a couple you times a wink. where that happens. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're told that in Beyond the Wall it was unintentional. Um, but I never know what to believe. Yeah, I can't believe anything these guys say. So what's uh, yeah. what's your number four? My number four, I believe, that is Danny's casting couch. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of material on that one. Just. Uh, you know, first of all, you know, we're introduced to Dario. Right. Um, Dario, it's a me, Dario. <laughs> it's funny, I wrote that down. <laughs> it's a me, Dario. Like, <laughs> I was writing my notes, like, scene by scene, and, like, uh, you know, just come from Ari and the Hound, 
And it was like, you know, okay, so Sandor is a second son. Like, he's the second Clegane brother. True. And he says, you know, he mentions that he might want to join them at some point and seems fitting. And then... Joffrey's so a I, second son, too, because Cersei had a, a black-haired boy before him in show canon. Uh, oh, yeah. And no, yeah, though, I, I noticed... I noticed so the Tyrion. ...throughout the episode, actually. Um, and that's why I was kind of wondering, like, you know, since since the, the White Walkers are Craster's sons... I wonder if that was the second one that they that he killed. Like, oh, was, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, Sam is the first son, but he's treated like a second son, right? And like little Sam, the unnamed bastard, is the 99th son, right? But uh, and so yeah. So speaking of second sons, next we are transported to Essos, where we meet It's a Me, Dario. <laughs> Select player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have a I have a theory uh, or a working hypothesis anyway. Where uh, okay, so remember the Battle of Blackwater in the the tavern, and Bronn is telling the the sex worker about um, his uh, you know the second time he got his nose bashed in. And right. <laughs> was, um, well, she was aiming for my brother. Oh. No, no, he was a little shit. And uh, and then uh, w- way later, when Dario and uh, Jora are going to rescue Danny from the Dothraki or whatever, um, Jora says, "You never received much discipline as a child, did you?" And Dario says, "None." So, are you saying that you think Dario may be Bronn's younger brother? Well, I'm not saying. That, <laughs> you know, so they're both they're both really good with throwing knives. Yeah, and they did they did recast Dario to look a lot more like Bronn. Oh yeah, interestingly, that is you know I I had heard like from uh, uh I haven't found confirmation on this but uh, somebody uh, that I trust said that he read. Uh, that George actually like corrected them and told them that like no no no, uh, Daenerys has a type, and it's you know it's facial hair and um, you know uh, brunette and like tall. Mm, interesting. And, yeah. It's yeah. Sort of like, they're both really good fighters too, Dario and Bronn. Like the yeah. best of the best, right? So. Maybe they are brothers. I, <laughs> well, we'll never know yeah. because Dario stayed over in, uh, <laughs> in, uh, yeah, but, in but Essos. But his princess is in another castle. What? His prin- you know, in, in uh, Super Mario Brothers. Oh. <laughs> Koopa and it's like, we're sorry. The princess is in another <laughs> castle. That's funny. Now, and then, uh, then in season seven, Braun, like gets the power up and fires it at King Koopa. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I don't really know. King Koopa, uh, aka Drogon. It, yeah, I need to find out if, if George R. R. Martin ever like got into video games, like old Nintendo or something. Like then, then I would that would put a lot more like strength in this <laughs> in this theory. If he was a big Mario fan, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who, who knows? Uh, what else you got? Um, oh, so much. Uh, so uh, uh, also like. Uh, Bronn has been to Essos. Um, we don't really know where Bronn is from. He's been everywhere, it seems, right? Because hasn't he said he's been beyond the wall, too? Yeah, north of the wall. Fucking he's a sellsword, but he doesn't seem to be with any company. But Or, is you know, like, you don't really 
find out, but none of it's kind of set up so that you almost don't really think about it anyway. Mm. It's like Braun, formerly of whatever nameless shithole you came from. <laughs> Who's your father? Oh, be? you wouldn't know him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like um, maybe it's maybe it is important. I don't know. Yeah, maybe his last name is Naharis. Braun Naharis. Oh, oh man. What if it was Braun of the Black Fire? <laughs> Ooh, that would be pretty cool too. Yeah, um, that dragon would uh, would smell him. You'd think. Oh yeah, maybe. That uh, maybe bastard. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, he uh, Dario esteems quickness over strength. Um, it's like when when the Hound and and uh, Braun are about to get into it. He's like. He's like, I'm just like you, only bigger. Or he's like, you're just like ah, me. And slower. slower. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Braun sort of illustrated that as well when he chose to go armorless um, against uh, Servardus Egan and Tyrion's first trial by combat at the, the Vale. At the Eerie. Oh, yeah. He's much faster, lighter. Servardus is wearing heavy plate armor, which ends up working against him. Um being against such a quick opponent as as Braun and Dario's the same way, definitely. Yeah, uh, like uh, Dario like underestimates his opponent a lot, and I, I think that's just kind of like charming. Like, uh, like one of my favorite facial expressions in the entire series is just like when they come across uh, Dario and Grey Worm, like sitting there having that little contest to see like who can hold their sword up longest. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the first shot we see of the new Dario. <laughs> and then just like the 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 look on Grey Worm's face of just like of just like calm, like determination and everything. He's just like, but he kind of looks like a little kid. But it's just kind of like right. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was adorable. And then also, <laughs> just the the way that that Dario is constantly like being like, oh, it'll be fine. Whoops. Like, trust me, the the big guy's gonna lose. Quickness always wins. Oh. Right? Yeah, and the guy gets beheaded. <laughs> and then, like, imagine trying to like have a physical contest of endurance against an unsullied. Jeez. Like, why? You know, like the, the like freaking um um. Yeah, they're pretty much just trained to endure everything and anything. They're yeah, they're like the closest you could come to a white without being undead. Right. Or a much. robot without being metallic. Yeah, pretty much like, yeah, um, just... Barristan calls the, like what is like, that's not bravery. That's madness. And Barristan is known as the guy who's like, like brave to the point of like madness. There was a West great, Coast. Oh yeah. Barristan, the bold, there was a great moment with him this episode too, where, uh, as the three guys are walking away, Marrow, the douchebag, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Danny says, "Well, if it comes to fighting, you know, kill him first. And and Barristan's like, "Gladly." <laughs> he's such an old guy, but he's so badass, man. Yeah, so hardcore. And, and I I had been thinking, like, okay, so like, why does she have a couch? And like, it's kind of like oh, inviting the the dude to come up and sit next to her in a way. <laughs> but and, and you know, especially like you know, she's she's going after a much less comfortable chair ultimately right yeah the chair that could literally kill you prick you but then it occurred to me like oh nor because normally like the that's where the dragons would sit but then the dragons aren't there oh and right I'm like, well, okay, so is that deliberate on her part or 
is that uh, like was that just one of those decisions that the dragons made? You know, it's like you know maybe the dragons could in, would intimidate the the last guy was the the leader of Astapor who came whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, but you know like these guys might you know if they threatened these guys they might like hurt the dragon or something. <coughs> Special effects budget, <coughs> but. Okay, so so like the way that she's all like, um, she's unintimidated by them, and she's got, you know, she just like signals to Jorah and um, Barristan, like, no, no, it's all right. Um, right. <laughs> it's like, did the, did she want the guy to kind of like come up and like sit next to them? I don't know. Uh, but uh, so 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 one. Okay, so. I was thinking about this. All right, so they they faced worst odds and run. Um, cell swords. They're they're not loyalty to the point of death. They're not going to throw themselves in a meat grinder for you. Like if you're losing, the cell swords are going to run. And uh, yeah, because all they care about is gold. Yeah. I so like gold. <laughs> so she knows that like even if these guys were to hurt her they weren't going to get out with their lives. So she had nothing to fear because, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to fucking do anything. Cause the unsullied would surround them and yeah, butcher them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like, okay. So, and so she's got, she's got Barrist in there, right? but th- these guys just see him as like this old guy. They, they don't know who he is and he's probably like a lot more dangerous than, uh, juvenile dragon at this point <laughs> even now i could cut through the five of you like butter oh, yeah. speaking about her uh, her casting couch and uh, marrow comes and sit down sits down kind of next to her and he says take off your clothes and come sit on marrow's lap and i may give you my second sons and her response <laughs> is great give me your second sons and i may not have you gelded <laughs> oh man classic line oh, she has man. a lot of great great comebacks um, in this episode yeah like uh, another one in the same scene you have no ships you have no siege weapons you have no cavalry and she says a fortnight ago i had no army a year ago i had no dragons you know and it just shows you like she's rising uh-huh. fast she is on the yeah. rise big time it's like Crazy. i swear i fucked you yeah in a pleasure house in lease <laughs> that, that, that that started like that kind of caught me like thinking of okay so um in a later in the later season was it like season four or five um, when Jorah when Jorah right before he kidnaps Tyrion and they're at the brothel and we see a sex worker who's in yeah dressed well, like Danny yeah and we presume it's sort of like a dragon queen fetish cosplay that she's doing right but, which it probably but is it, but it could have been that <laughs> you know. what if what if what if it wasn't what if that is like sort of like what if that's like the traditional prostitute outfit of somebody <laughs> with cars? And Danny just happens to pick up that style. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt it. Somebody it would have told Zorro. her. Zaro gave her the outfit. And, oh, true. And it was it was Dara Dar di, Diarrhea. <laughs> Dar, Daria 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 who who's like oh a gown fit for a princess. And, uh, uh, okay, so, like, you recall there's that, that thing where the the legend of the dragons coming from the second moon is actually what they believe in Karth, 
So maybe Zaro had actually sent her to like, and you know she was all interested in Viserys and like his information and about dragons and like it's like maybe Zaro had actually sent her as a spy as, or something. Yeah, as a mole to like you know. Well, they did get end info. up. She didn't end up with him, so she could have ended up back with him if they had been together beforehand and she was working for him. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I just I found it like it's just interesting. Like, what if Zaro, because they they sort of do make sport in Karth of her night her naivety, and uh, they're they're sort of you know what if he just kind of dressed her up like a prostitute to just, just to mess with her and make her look stupid. Yeah, and there's, and there's like kind of callback to Bronn saying treat a whore like a queen and a queen like a whore. Huh. I don't remember that. That's funny. <laughs> He said that. Maybe I got that from someplace. <laughs> I recall Braun saying that. Um, but what if she's just parading around looking like a whore and like this guy's treating her this way because she basically just like looks like a, a prostitute and like <laughs> it's the only one who's actually respecting her is the guy who doesn't pay prostitutes, Dar- Dario. <laughs> True. That, that was great too. I like that whole thing. I don't pay them. I, you know, I, I do like them. I just don't pay them. You know, and he talks about the the good things in life, um, having a woman that enjoys being with you, <laughs> as opposed to be being paid to be with you. Yeah, that other guy too is such a just so loathsome. The uh, the, the guy says, "Take off your clothes and sit on Marrow's lap," and then he's like flapping <laughs> his tongue at her. <laughs> Show oh me my god! Cut. I want yeah. to see if it's worth fighting for. They hired a and perfect he, guy for that road role, oh, right? And he like goes to like sniff Missandei's. Right? Yeah. She's like, oh. <laughs> Back. the tongue flapping was so extreme, though. It's oh, it really, really well done. Oh, that's funny. Anything else you want to add about that? Yeah, um, I uh, I hadn't noticed before, but just like the the parallels, the symmetry between uh, Dario and um, Jock and Hagar in, in this episode, at least specifically, like. When we first meet him, he's with two other guys who are, like, much more vile and just uncouth than him. But also he seems somehow a little bit more scary than them. Like, there's just this quiet, knowing smile on his face. Hmm. Yeah, he's got that sly smirk. Yeah, he somehow seems just, like, more dangerous. Wise men listen and laugh while fools talk. Yeah. To quote the prophet, 50 Cent. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Um, oh, he, uh, yeah, so he's kind of like with the, that trio, but then, um, but he's not like them. And then like later on, he, uh, uh, when he's like sneaking into her through the Unsullied camp, he's like in disguise. Yeah. He a, must've killed an Unsullied cause he's wearing uns- an Unsullied yeah, outfit. Like kind of goes unspoken that some like poor Unsullied got his throat cut, which yeah. might've been. An act of mercy for them, <laughs> but yeah. which also goes back to the faceless men because or, the first faceless men killing somebody was an act of mercy. True, and it's uh, possible that um, he could have just like knocked out the unsullied because he did want to join Danny, basically. So maybe he didn't kill the guy. I I wonder if it's possible to knock out an unsullied. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. And, you know, that'd be kind of a big risk because if they didn't get knocked out, they. The alarm, the jig would be up. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's some there's some other good lines in this whole section too, um, where uh, the, Mero is talking with with um, 
with the, the, the three of them there and they're planning on, you know, one of us has to go take her out because we can't take out all 8,000 Unsullied. And Dario's sitting there rubbing the hilt of his sword and it's our, or of his dagger. It's our first look at Dario's ladies. His oh, yeah. twin blades with his sexy female hilts, which he seductively rubs with his thumbs in the books. So it's a cool little detail that they included on the show, um, probably to make up for the other details about Dario that they didn't, did not include, like the fact how he has purple hair in the books. Yeah. And a big blue spiked beard. They're always a lot more like flamboyant. Crazy, yeah, because, crazy flamboyant to keep you interested yeah. while you're reading. <laughs> the, yeah, there's things that just kind of like are, are better when you picture them in your mind's in mind. eye. But yeah, then definitely. Put them on screen. They look would... weird. <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, Mero is he's saying to Dario that um, he, Dario the Naharis, the whore who doesn't like whores, he's like, I like them very much. I just refuse to pay them, and I'm no whore, my friend. And Mero says she sells her sheath, and you sell your blade. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, he the, fights the, the... for beauty. You know, whereas yeah. the other guys fight for gold. And that's really that that like it kind of like somehow like poetically all ties in because he's the you know, he he, he draws the Bravosi coin and says Valor Morghulis. And right and, and uh, as he explains to Danny, you know, he says, you know, we had a difference of opinion about your beauty, right? I it meant more to me than them. We disagreed they drew their swords, I drew mine. And so he probably says Valar Margulis in that moment right before that ha- that battle happened because it's then that they're deciding to take out Danny. And he probably got the coin and was like, I don't want to, you know? <laughs> I don't think yeah. this is a good plan. And then it's probably right after it cut there, he probably said Valar Margulis because the significance of the Bravosi coin, you know, obviously Valar Morgulis is a Bravosi saying, but he probably mm. knew he was about to have to kill those two guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's why he probably said it. <laughs> and I wrote, like, all, all men must die, but swords will turn and run to save their lives. But Dario <laughs> grew up as a gladiator where there is no running, and it kind of seems like, you know, he might be more, like, favored by the god of death because mm. he, um, he understands, you know, the... You know, he, he he also he fights for something higher than them too. He's not fighting for gold. He's fighting because, you know, for the joy of killing a man who wants to kill you. Right. And yeah. And for beauty, for the beauty of Danny, you know, he's going to win her heart by uh, yeah fighting. He, he just... So since we've um, since we're seeing this this Dario for the first time, which which Dario do you like better? I prefer the second one. But on this rewatching, this one is kind of like growing on me a little bit just because he looks kind of like this perfect combination of creepy and handsome. Right. I like his his, his smirk, you know, his like sly smirk that he does. Yeah. One of our listeners, uh, I think is Angel- Angelica Garcia Decker. They call him Fa- Fabio Naharis. Fabio Naharis. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I've heard that from <laughs> other sources too nice and the bald move podcasts they call him uh euro trash dario (laughs) (laughs) i thought was kind of funny too oh Um, man i like that one (laughs) oh Oh, that's what yeah i wrote in my notes uh for that transition like speaking of second sons we are transported to essos where we (laughs) because he like uh, uh people are saying that he like left to do the transporter movie which oh right yeah yeah he left he he did did. 
He did. Yeah, he, he left uh, Game of Thrones to become a movie actor. I'm yeah. Sure, uh, well, well, he denies. He says that it was a diff, It was like a contract difference. Oh, in, really? In, transporter but other people are saying i don't really believe that he probably tried to leverage the transporter to get a higher salary and they were like eh, we don't need you yeah probably he was in deadpool also he was the bad guy in deadpool francis or whatever yeah um oh another cool thing about this scene um right before dario comes in to right before he infiltrates into danny's bath time <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we learn that Missande um, speaks nineteen languages. Yeah, and uh, she's t- telling Danny, you know, it only took your grace a year to learn Dothraki, Dothraki reasonably well, and she's like, yes, well, it was either learn Dothraki or grunt at my husband and help. Wait, wait, what do you mean reasonably well? And yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of this the time that I met Michonne from The Walking Dead, Denai Guerrera. I, uh, I, oh, it was wow. like their second, her second year on the show, I think. And I was like, Hey, it's great to meet you. Uh, I was like, Oh man, like your moves with the katana are really good this year. You've improved a lot, you know? And she's like, Oh, thanks. Wait, you saying I was no good last year. <laughs> I was like, you're really pretty. Bye. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh me. man, that's great. Um, I, yeah, actually, um, I'm glad you brought it up because the, the thing with the language, um, uh, so, all right. So Misandi says, you know, your Valyrian is very well. Uh, you speak high yeah, Valyrian. She says very. your high Valyrian is very good, your grace. The gods could not devise a more perfect tongue. It's the only proper language for poetry. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. Really cool. So, um, so on that subject, um, when I did my writer in the night episode, I said that, um, the the word for dragon and star are the same in high valyrian and that was actually not true uh but in high valyrian they speak poetically and they will substitute the words dragon star sun and swords oh as like symbolism yeah so they'll, they'll be speaking of uh of uh of the star but then they'll call it a dragon or or vice versa yeah or a sword sometimes so uh yeah you know it could be you know he will awake dragons from stone or beneath a bleeding star and it could be a bleeding dragon or a bleeding sword or bleeding made from a star for that matter but right because that's what you're saying that john at hardhome could have been reborn beneath a bleeding star which would have been viserion um, yeah bleeding um Oh, back to the bathtub scene. That was a really cool bathtub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not as cool as what was in it, but, you know. And he was right about, you know, Dario was right about her beauty. You know, we, we have a philosophical difference. Over what? Your beauty. It meant more to me than it did to them. <laughs> I'm, yeah. You're a strange man. I'm the simplest man you'll ever meet. And I was just like, you know, he's right. She is freaking gorgeous, man. Her, <laughs> she could, you know, send armies... She- against each other over just over her beauty <laughs> yeah oh so by the way like he he basically reveals that i i'm dario i do what i want to do yeah he straight up straight you up know, I, i'm here for a limited time and i'm just gonna do what i want before everything 
Yeah, he he had a great line. He said, "She says, well, why would I trust a man who murders his comrades?" And he's like, "They ordered me to murder you. I told them I preferred not to. They told me I had a choice. I told them I am Dario Naharis. I always have a choice. <laughs> they drew yeah, their swords, so, and I drew mine." <laughs> but so so Danny gives him a choice, or well, doesn't really give him a choice. She says, "You're going to stay here and rule over a marine." Right. In and my he, absence. And he actually listens to her. Or so we think. As far or as we do, know. Yeah, does he? Like, <laughs> yeah. Will, will we be seeing more of him? I hope and so. Will he come to Westeros? Braun, my brother. Hey. We yeah. And that's what come fight with like, me and Danny. Don't make uh, me kill you. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a me, Dario. It's a me, Dario. Brother <laughs> Braun. <laughs> so back to Danny's beauty, you know. Um, she steps out of the water, revealing her her nakedness, and you know puts him in a trance, basically, <laughs> and um, and says, "Will you fight for me? S- swear to me." You know, and he says, "The second sons are yours, and so is Dario Naharis. My sword is yours. My life is yours. My heart is yours." And uh, you know, obviously, she's very beautiful, but his his devotion to to her is also a beautiful thing, you know. And he yeah. proves over time that he he really seems to mean it. <laughs> Just cool. He does everything that she asks. <laughs> I wrote that Dario gives Danny head. <laughs> Two of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was so great. No boombox outside Danny's window, just a bag full of the severed heads of her enemies. <laughs> um. Oh, uh, just on the subject of his parallels with Jockin, you know, he draws the Bravosi coin and says Valor Morghulis. Yep. Oh, and yeah, uh, they both have long flowing hair. Yeah, and then also uh, he comes back with a different face. Ah, yeah. <laughs> after he's recast, you mean? Yeah. That's also, great. in in the episode where Sandor says that he'd like to join the Second Sons, we see the Bravosi coin for the first time, or well, we see it, we see a close up of it, and it's got the the scar through the face. Like there's a little Ooh, like kind of like Sandor's face. Yeah, or like. Um, Two Faces coin from Batman. Yeah, 1922 Peace Dollar. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, there's actually, um, it's interesting, there are mint errors occasionally where they, they fuck up coins, basically. And uh-huh. um, I guess there are 1922 Peace Dollars that are marked with two obverses, which means and there's the, the, the sides of the coin are called an obverse and a reverse. So the obverse is the, the side with the face on it. And I guess you can find um, certain coins that are struck with two obverses, like Two Faces coin, which is pretty uh, cool. Harvey, Harvey, Harvey Dent. Yeah. So the you know if you remember um, you know my whole thing about how Barristan is Batman, and then there's like coded Batman characters throughout West or throughout Planetos. And- right. Sandor so Sandor's two face, yeah. And he talks about you know, so like it's like this whole implied alternate t- timeline where he like goes to Essos and like gets the coin. It's great. Maybe he joins the faceless men for all we know, because who wouldn't want to have a new face? Your, so there, well, there's hound. different coins. The 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 coin of the faceless men that they have is a circular coin with the the face. You know the guy on it. Um, this Bravosi coin that Dario has is shaped like a square, I believe, oh, which is pretty yeah. neat. 
Um, interesting. I, I don't know. I like coins, man. It's cool to see different coins from different places. It's funny that he had <laughs> the guy had three coins from three different places in a bag, all ready to go for this decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, well, again, it's, it, but it kind of makes sense in the subtext because he's obviously big into whores. So <laughs> he carries all the different like coinage <laughs> for wherever he's got to be. Yeah, for whoever he's got to pay off. Shall we uh, move on? Uh, yeah, certainly. I think. Oh wait, wait, wait. Um, on the subject of the High Valyrian and Masandi and everything, so yep. she she's telling she's like your your High Valyrian is like very good, top notch. Yeah. But uh, later on in season seven, she has to. Uh, tell Danny that uh well it could actually be the prince or princess. Oh, the gender neutral thing, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so like in the earlier episode when um Misandi says Valor Morghulis and Danny says yes, but we are not men. <laughs> right. Misandi smiles and I don't know it's it, it just kind of like has me wondering because you know you can never really take anything at face value um, in this series. Uh, you know what if what if Misandi is just like smiling at her because she's like she fucks up the genders. You fool! Like that that applies to men and women. Like <laughs> yeah. understand the whole thing of gender neutral. Right? Yeah, I, I doubt it. But uh, it, yeah. <laughs> it's a funny she idea. Doesn't, she doesn't seem shady. Like it's like when you when you look at when you look back at varies. And through the the lens of well maybe he's a shady bastard and then you can actually see it in him because right, it was totally. and everything but not with Nasandi she really seems she to seems be, pretty innocent and you know, yeah one, not I don't want to say one dimensional but you know not like there's not like something hidden beneath the surface you know what I mean well there's always something hidden beneath the surface but <laughs> not yeah. that. We don't know the the extent to which um, the Valyrian language is gender gender neutral. Like certainly some nouns are, but we don't know about more more um, Valar. You know, um, could mean men specifically. We we don't know. I don't know. Yeah, at least. but 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 I do know that all women are going to die. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that yeah. kind of makes it men as in mankind, all of us. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Um, oh yeah, like uh, God could not have devised a more perfect language. George R. R. Martin is God, but he didn't actually devise this whole like language the way, that, like I was saying, with like Tolkien actually did. Um, so, but they did actually for the show have like a, a linguist come back and like um, he like yeah, made like up this they whole created Dothraki. Um, there's yeah, Dothraki books that you can buy to learn the Dothraki language, which is pretty funny. Yeah, I think there's like even college courses probably somewhere. Yeah, probably. <laughs> the, I, I actually oh I, f- I found this um I'm gonna get too like sidetracked here but there's a really cool uh, I think it's Dothraki.org but they they've also got a Valyrian dictionary and it's just got a list of all the Valyrian words and their their translations and uh, the well, like one of the first one is egg like a e g oh what does that mean iron iron interesting yeah. And for the, like one of the sentences, like for the examples of using it as in a, in a sentence, it says uh, something, something, translation, the Iron Throne pokes the king. Hmm. Interesting. Danny's father is King Scab. Yeah. Was, was known as King Scab. He would always cut him of, up. 
because he's yeah. fidgeting on the, in his madness and <laughs> scraping against the blades. And one of the other kings, um, I can't remember who they they. Some people claim that the throne actually cut an artery and killed him. Oh <laughs> Is man, it like Magor or something like that. Yeah, oh one man, he was probably given a poison that like made him like a neat, uh... <laughs> flopping around up on the on the throne. Yeah, what, what was it? Um... Inebriated. No, um, the the blood thing where your blood doesn't clot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like warfarin or a blood thinner. Yeah, possibly. That's funny. Um, Shall we move on? Uh, Yeah. All right. So my number four is the wolf and the lion, referring to Tyrion and Sansa. So uh, we it starts off with Sansa preparing for her first wedding, um, you know, and Shay is getting her all dressed oh, up. Oh man, can I, let me can I interject here because sure. it's actually uh, the perfect transition. Um, the one last thing uh, when uh, when Dario holds up the coin and says Valor Morghulis, and then it switches over to the next scene, and the first thing we see in the next scene is a mirror with two Shea faces in it. it. And one of them, Shay. <laughs> yeah. Faceless <Yeah>. Shay. <laughs> yeah. Shaceless man. Uh, <laughs> Shaceless man. The, 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 this is one of my hypotheses that I, like, I started off earlier in our rewatch together. And I, as I'm rewatching, it just gets stronger and stronger for you. <laughs> yeah. There, it's not, it hasn't been contradicted. Any apparent contradiction at first actually becomes more of a reinforcement and. I won't belabor the point because it's not big in this episode anyway. It's funny. I want to say I fully stand by that. She's totally a faceless man. Uh, it's totally possible, man. Totally. So, possible. so sorry to interrupt. Oh, it's all good. Um, so yeah, Tyrion walks in and Sansa is being polite. Says, "You look very handsome, my lord." And he says, "Oh yes, the husband of your dreams." He feels so unloved and unwanted everywhere he goes. Even his own family, except for oh. Jamie, hates him. You know, his sister, his father. No women like like him because he's a dwarf and he's you know he's got a big gnarly gash across his face and everything at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just brutal. Like we, I, like I always feel bad for Tyrion so many times, especially in this episode. It's a pretty rough oh, episode for both of them. <laughs> the the tension was so palpable when um, Shay is walking past him, like when he has Pod escort her out. Just yeah, like the, she glares at him. Um, that that actress is so good with like the subtlety of facial expression. Interesting, and it, you know, it's really hard not to tie it back into the to whole face thing. thing. <laughs> there, there's really they like would be if really you, good at that, huh? If you look at her micro expressions, like pe- people think that she's such an idiot, but there are just like scenes where she really does seem completely naive. But if you're watching closely. She's like for just a second, her face changes and Flickers. like you see her, yeah, you see her give a sidelong glance to somebody that seemed like she was like ignorant about or something. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's um, so it's even it's like even more fucked up than how like Tyrion it feels like unworthy and unloved and unwanted and everything because he really is like one of the only good guys in Westeros, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> She, he, he says, yeah, I just want don't. to say I know how you feel. And she's like, I doubt that very much, my lord. It's like, you know what? You're right. I don't know how you feel. And I, you don't know how I feel. But I promise you one thing, my lady. You know, I won't ever hurt you. You know, and he means it. 
Yeah. Even, even that night after the wedding, he decides not to consummate it because uh, it doesn't feel right to him. And he doesn't want to, to do anything to to dishonor her or, you know. Um, yeah. So it's brutal, man. Like, just, you know, shittiest stuff always happens to, the, like, the, the best of the people. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, um, there's that, like, that, I forget who gave the piece of writing advice, but it's, like, you know, the best authors are sadistic towards their characters. <laughs> I like Germ. He's highly sadistic yeah. towards the yeah, characters he, and to the audience. <laughs> he, he's the best contemporary author that I know of, honestly. So, Speaking of sadists, um, so Sansa <laughs> enters the, the Sept of Baylor to be greeted by Joffrey. And I I was just noticing the um, there was an, like, above, above, like, overhead view looking down at the floor of the Sept of Baylor. And she enters at the main front doors and walks, and they have like a procession set up. And uh, since it's seven-pointed, if you enter from one of the points exactly opposite, there you have to. there's a fork, you know? So you have, she has to choose between two different directions. So the procession just kind of like winds to the left a little bit. And, wow. Um, I just thought it was, you know, interesting – Maybe there's some type of meaning crazy. there, but for me, I was just thinking like, oh, it bugged me a little bit. I would just want to go straight, but then I was like, oh, it's kind of cool to be asymmetrical at the same time. I mean, it's yeah. symmetrical, but they they only go one of the directions. Yeah, so that that's incredible. Neat. That's just like the poetry of what, what just like the the symbolism of that. Yeah, there's got to be something encoded in there. So if you guys have any ideas of what that could symbolize, um, let us know for sure. Yeah. Just like, yeah, because like, you know, this whole like world of like symmetry, but then like the choices you make, make. Right. You yeah. Know, like you're saying path. choices, they go left in this case. Yeah. You know? It's like you can only go, you can't go like. You have to make a choice. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I noticed about the sept this time that it has a, a sort of, it resembles the the house of black and white's interior somewhat. Oh, the huge the, columns and stuff. Yeah, and the, there's these, like, um, they're, like, rectangles um, all throughout, whereas in the 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 House of Black and White, it, they're, what are they, um, like, the, like, rupee-shaped kind of things, hmm. but uh, they're shaped kind of like a Quaith's mask design. Oh, like a, like, like a hexagonal? Yeah, but but here they're, they're like, um, oblong. But there's still that sort of that that honeycomb sort of design, like nice. Uh, yeah, I like that red lacquer mask that Quaith wears is really cool. Yeah, you can just see her eyes. Yeah, I wish I, I re- could remember which Raven's color it was that pointed out the similarity of her mask to the uh, House of Black and White. Right, that was a really cool really detail. Really killer, killer detail. Um, yeah, definitely. Unintended. <laughs> uh, unintended <laughs> oh man so so joffrey walks up to her and she's like what the fuck are you doing here you son of a bitch you know which is true uh cersei's a bitch and i just had to throw it in there and he's like <laughs> he's like your father's gone and as the father of the realm it's my duty to, to give you away to your husband and i'm just thinking you fucking scumbag you know he, what he's a what a, a great actor oh yeah <laughs> Jack Leeson. Oh, God, I could not wait till he died. The first time watching through, I was like, oh, my God, how are they going to get rid of this guy? Like, I know. And, like, then it's not even a gratifying way. <laughs> I thought it was pretty gratifying. 
Eh, I mean, yeah, no, you know, yeah. I guess it's poetic. There's different ways to look at everything, right? Yeah. Um, so they walk up and he leads her all the way up to the altar area and proceeds to take away Tyrion's stool that he was going to stand on for the cloaking <laughs> part of the ceremony. And Nick, the first thing that the, the, the Septon says is, uh, you may now cloak the bride and bring her under your protection. And Sansa, it was kind of clueless as to what was happening. She didn't, you know, yeah, she seems like she to didn't like, really realize, you know, right? It, it's like she's sort of like floating. She's like not really. She's just trying to kind of like just walk through it and not really be there. And she's right. like going somewhere else in her mind. So yeah, she's that's, not yeah. attention. It's so painful to watch for both of them. Cause they're both being like humiliated. Um, it's humiliating for Tyrion that he has to ask her to kneel and that he can't reach her. And it's humiliating for her that she has to kneel in her wedding in her wedding gown and everything. And he's like, yeah. Uh, I'm, could you, you know, Neil, please? You're so freaking tall, It kind of speaks to this like lack of communication between them because right. it's like this is like in the the early parts of the of the story arc where the characters who should be on the same side don't realize that they're on the same side, right? And like, yeah. it's, it's like if, if he had just told like Sansa, like like if he'd I known that he Lannisters. could trust her, he could have been like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, what do you think? Do you think that they'll end up um, actually consummating their marriage and, be, <laughs> and eventually? No. I think no. they could end up together, man. I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm shipping Sansa and the Hound and Tyrion with Arya. Oh right, I forgot about the Hound. Tyrion yeah. and Arya. Yeah. Okay. So, but you know, Tyrion is Gurm's favorite both character. Both the same height. Arya. She is short. Yeah. She is short. Um, Arya is Gurm's wife's favorite character. Yeah, she she like told him that you know if you kill her off, I will divorce you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's that whole like the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. In the the acting troupe, the that um, the actress she's supposed to kill is married to a dwarf who plays Tyrion, and who's kind of a a plucky little pervert. Oh really? Yeah. That's funny, man. I didn't realize that she was married to that guy. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um I liked that acting troupe. Those guys were great. They were. Um there there's like a couple other like just like little like subtle like hints of like parallelism with them. Nice. Uh, just like her, her relationship with uh Tywin or like yeah, like how Tywin likes her, but he totally does leave her to be killed by the mountain in a horrible way. He totally he, does. Yeah. He he really uh but that so it's just kinda like even though he's like trying to kill Tyrion, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love him. And like tying back in with like, you know, like Randall, Tarly and, and Sam, Sam. Right. Yeah, that's sort of the same angle you were mentioning with that. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I'm I'm shipping Tyria. Not that, <laughs> Tyria. <laughs> oh, not that I know it'll happen. There are these like sort of implied like um, like plot threads that never actually pan out. But it's like they could have happened had like this person gone left instead of right or whatever. Right. So uh, so I don't know that Tyria or. Um, Sandstore will ever happen, but I, I think it's sort of like written in the subtext. Sandstore. I'm shipping yeah. Sandstore and uh, Gendrian. 
Gendria, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Gendria. Yeah. See, I, I think I think it's like I don't know. I think there's a parallel with with, with like Liana and Robert there with Gendria. Yeah. Where he kind of seems like when they first meet, she's much younger and he's an older guy, and so he seems kind of like he's the one who right. has it more figured out than and her. She's but... the tomboy girl, just like Arya and. Yeah. And they're, yeah, they both, you know, and Robert and Gendry both wield hammers and have a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's great. But, we'll, uh, we'll talk about Gendry in a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So moving on, we get to the wedding reception and Tyrion is drinking. He is getting fucking smashed. <laughs> He's like wiping his face on the tablecloth and shit. And Sansa's like, oh, my, my be excused. <laughs> you know, like, you might have yeah. like, he like gives bit. her that look, <laughs> and, yeah, and she's just like, "I'd be excused." Yeah. Like, is <laughs> he trying to be revolting because he doesn't want? I think he's just or, so drunk that he's just like out of control. Um, and, and that's what I th- my thoughts. And then Sansa eyes up or Joffrey eyes up Sansa and goes to mess with her, and I'm like, "Oh goddamn!" Yeah, and, um, Tywin comes over to talk with Tyrion. <laughs> you seem rather drunk rather less than I planned to be <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he's basically like you know you gotta be able to get it up son we need a Lannister baby yeah uh, which is pretty funny and then speaking of which yeah yeah what did you call me what did you once call me a drunken little lust filled beast drinking in lust no man can match me in these things I am the god of tits and wine (laughs) one of the greatest lines of the entire series yeah right seen like Like, coffee mugs made of it oh yeah tattoos (laughs) 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 that's fucking awesome but then uh, Joffrey you know, when he does meet up with Sansa, he's like, ha ha, you've done it. You've married a Lannister and soon you'll have a Lannister baby. <laughs> it's a dream come true for you, isn't it? What a glorious day. But uh, I suppose it doesn't, re- it doesn't really matter which Lannister puts the baby in you, does it? Maybe I'll pay you a visit to you myself after my uncle passes out. And I'm thinking it's interesting that Joffrey refers to himself there as a Lannister and not a Baratheon. Hashtag oh. just saying, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe deep down he knows the truth as much as he outwardly denies it, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I he, he kind of he, he must have like realized the truth of it. Like, yeah, basically, like, that's why he had Ned killed. Like, yeah. So that to just silence him once and for all. Yeah, oh, man. Because yeah, he the... totally refers to himself as a Lannister here, man. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, that's a good catch. And it it could be just like a, a writing error, you know, but I think there's something more to it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Because we, we all see him as a Lannister anyway. Totally. So he is. You know, he's not a brat. But, but the, 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 real, <laughs> the real kicker is that he's not even a Lannister because he's a Targaryen. <laughs> yeah, if, if, the, uh, if the, the Lannister twins were actually Targaryens. <laughs> Which they totally are. Yeah, it's debatable. I, I think the a lot of people think that uh, the World of Ice and Fire book um, kind of smashes that theory by placing um, Joanna Lannister and the Mad King at different places, um, <laughs> at Castle Rock and and King's yeah, Landing. Yeah, a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people think a lot of things. Time. Yeah, I mean, page one fifteen. It's one fifteen, and it's there, and the the timeline is obfuscated. So Ooh. that you may you may like brush it off, but it's actually Joanna had her sent away 
and then they went to Castor Little Rock. Or, and uh, then Tywin had Joanna she, sent away. Then, um, no, a, it was Joanna it was, had who sent away. Ares' wife had Joanna sent away because oh, okay, okay. he was fucking her too much. And then she went to Casterly Rock and then they had a baby. But there's like the the timeline right there is seemingly deliberately obfuscated so that you, it might even seem like, well, then she went off to Casterly Rock and became pregnant. But she might have um, she might have actually had her sent away. And who uh, who wrote the World of Ice Virus at Maester Ebros? Yeah, it was, so I mean, um, he's fallible. You know, he's a guy; he could be wrong about the, some exactly. of these details. And not only that, most of what we know about the Bad King is from the writings of Pycelle. It says it right there in the World Book. So, and he's and he would the guy be covering up stuff. Oh yeah, and in fact, there on one page one fifteen, there's like a little like blurb where he where Pycelle is denying the rumors that um, the Ares might have taken Joanna's flower. Ooh. Um, and it's like, why, why even have that there to deny it? Because, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, if just denying it makes it suspect. suspect. Yeah. Like drawing any, attention any, to it for no anytime apparent reason. Anytime you hear a maester deny something, you know there's more to it. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that's my rule. That's and, funny. Yeah. Unless um, it's Sept... Unless the, oh, no. Septon Barth was not a maester. So, yeah. that I was going to say, uh-huh. unless it's Septon Barth, because he's just right about everything, but he's not a maester, so it doesn't okay. contradict your point at all. <laughs> uh, I've not encountered Septon Barth yet, so Oh, you will enjoy Septon Barth. Pay attention to him for sure. Oh, everything I sure everything will. he says is prophetic or something or other. Um, so yeah, it's a uh, you know, Joffrey talking about maybe I'll pay a visit after my uncle passes out. Seems like Joffrey wants to instate the reinstate the right of the first knight. You know, yeah. Prima that's Noctu. interesting. Hmm. That's um, that's kinda interesting because uh who was it that got rid of that in Westerosi uh, history? Probably. Do you remember who it was? Was it Baylor, Baylor the Blessed or something? It was Jaehaerys the First Targaryen. But it was a thing for a while. Um, yeah. And but, it, just uh, as in real, night, real life called Prima Nocta. Mm-hmm. Um, the First Knight. Prima First yeah. Nocta Knight. Noctu but, Studios uh, is the uh, my production company uh, means <laughs> of the night Noctu because I'm always uh, doing all my editing in the middle of the night. <laughs> ah, <laughs> you know man. that as we're texting wow. back and forth when you're driving your uh, uh, your, <laughs> doing your paper route. <laughs> yeah, we're both like creatures of the night. Oh it's yeah. Funny. Um. Oh man. So yeah, Tyrion is just like full of great lines in this scene, right? Um, Joffrey's trying to trying to initiate the um, the betting custom, right? Uh-huh. And Tyrion's not having it. He's like, there will be no betting ceremony. He's like, there will be if I command it, right? Boom! Smashes his knife into the table and uh-huh. Joffrey <gasps> like, turns and the whole place goes silent. You hear like the, 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 the stringed instruments like, you know? <laughs> and, uh, what? Did you say? Yeah, yeah. And Tyrion's like, then you'll be fucking your own bride with a wooden cock. And I'm like, damn! Like, Tyrion is just full of amazing lines. And What did you say? What did you say? (laughs) Tywin has to step in to just, you know, to to break it up a little bit, to de-escalate. I believe we Uh can dispense with the betting, Your Grace. I'm sure Tyrion did not mean to threaten the king. 
you know, and he sort of like his eyes close and he sort of grimaces and he pulls himself together enough to retract his threat because he doesn't want to retract it either. You know, he fucking meant that shit. He's got to pull pull himself together just to say a bad joke, your grace. Made out of envy of your own royal manhood. Mine is so small. My poor wife won't even know I'm there. (laughs) So brutal. Yeah, he he diminishes his own manhood just to kind of be like, you know, because he knows what that's all. It's all about cocks in the end. And it's just about like, oh, no, no, you're a bigger man than me. You don't have to do anything cruel to prove that you're a man. Right. But, um... So yeah, th- this was actually uh, my number three was uh, Tywin. Well, I put smiles, but I don't know. Okay. He does smile though. He sort of smiles at Tyrion's clever manipulation of public perception. Um, there's there's like two times in the entire show where you see um, Tywin do sort of a kind of a half smile sort of thing, and. They're both when he's talking to Tyrion. Interesting. And the only only other time he smiles is after he's dead. <laughs> and the 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 septum or the uh, the um the ladies who uh who prepare the bodies like fucked up and made him smile. Cersei's all pissed about it. Sorry, wow. go ahead. Wow. I didn't know that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Had a similar <laughs> similar experience with me recently. My grandmother recently died, um sadly. Sure. Um but um, when when they prepared her body for the the funeral or for the uh, the wake, sorry, they kind of gave her like a bigger smile than she she really yeah. had. You know, it's a little funny. It made me think of Tywin. Yeah, yeah. I miss her. Um, I called her sorry Grum. We called her Grum. Grum, Grum, and Grump. <laughs> wow. So there's the two times you're mentioning when Tywin sort of half smiled. Yeah, and uh, I found that that it was kind of interesting because. You know, he first of all, uh, you know, he he was known to only like smile at, at his wedding to Joanna. Right. Joanna is the only thing that can make him smile. Yeah, and then like in in the world book, the Pycelle like points out that like when around Joanna, he could have he was known to visibly smile, or maybe it was even laughing like yeah, as many it, like at least five times when he was around her, and uh, I. Uh, I'm not sure if Tyrion is actually a Targaryen, but I'm kind of thinking, at least in the show, he's probably the only Lannister left after Tywin. Wow. People are like, no, he's the third dragon rider. Come on. <laughs> like, yeah, no, but, uh, you know, it's like, okay, hear me out. Because, first of all, you know, he is the most like Tytos Lannister, Tywin's grandfather. I mean, Tywin's father, rather. Yeah. But he was more of a pushover than Tyrion. Yeah. Um, well, that's the perception of him anyway. Yeah, it's the uh, the description we get from Tywin, at least. <laughs> yeah, um, but that's, like, you know, because, like, you know, really, uh, Tywin didn't really confer with Tytos about this, like, the whole Reigns of Castamere thing. He just took action, and, you, like, you see this thing where... Tywin doesn't really share his plans with his kids and you know maybe Tytos actually had a plan for for that whole debacle with the the gold and everything um with running out just, of gold to the mines yeah when the like the the people that he had loaned gold to that weren't paying him back and were kind of like laughing at him oh right like, for Tytos yeah yeah but he was jovial 
with them. And that was this thing. It was that he joked around a lot, but didn't kind of like realize that people were laughing at him. Yeah, not with him so much. Yeah, right. And, but uh, yeah, Tyrion definitely jokes around a lot and kind of like I mean, he play he realizes people are laughing at him anyway, so he kind of like takes takes control of it by making fun of himself and everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, T- Tyrion, my my tiny drunk cock and I have a job to do. Come, wife, yeah. I vomited on a girl once in the middle of the act. Not proud of it. <laughs> Yeah. So brutal. And, and Ty, Tywin sees what, like, sees, like, as soon like as soon as Tywin, like, says the thing and he's like, he's obviously drunk, uh, Tyrion takes his cue and starts acting way more drunk than he is. Right, yeah. And Tywin kind of, like, half smiles at that, like. That he understood enough. He's at least sober enough to pick up on the fact that you got to make yourself look drunk so that this guy doesn't fucking kill you, basically. Yeah, and the way he ma- he's manipulating public perception, which is totally Tywin, which is t- what Tywin's all about, is True. manipulating public perception. Totally. And I, I even put this down because, like, you know, Cersei was telling uh, Marjorie about the, the Reigns of Castamir story, and one thing that's interesting is one of those houses, the, the one that got sealed up inside their own rock, that they had, like, a smaller version of casterly rock of their own basically mm-hmm. and tywin sealed them up so that they just yeah you know, diverted the tumble inside. stone over them but he sealed up all their gold too like that gold is still there uh the uh the family that They're, hid in the mines underneath castamir <laughs> yeah something like that the there were the two houses yeah it was uh house rain after they they rebelled against Tywin with the Tarbex, they ended up losing a battle against Tywin and hid in the mines. And uh, they offered him terms, and instead of accepting the terms, Tywin just diverted the Tumblestone River over the mines and drowned everybody inside. Super hardcore. Yeah, and it's it's still sealed up with that gold in there. And Casterly Rock is completely out of gold, and Tywin knows that there's all this gold in the one place. Yeah, but they had uh, gold and silver mines under Castamere. Yeah, if he if he digs it up uh, to get the gold, then that completely destroys his whole like reigns of Castamere song, and he'd much rather just have that like the reputation for being ruthless than actually have the gold to pay back the Iron Bank. I don't understand how it would uh, destroy the song though. He, he already killed them; they're all dead. So then he could go in and dig it up and take the gold. That'd be fine, right? Yeah, but why would he go? Why would he go dig it up if he's got all that gold in Casterly Rock? Oh which, yeah, but he doesn't now. I, yeah. I, I meant like you know when it runs out or whatever. But the public, yeah, the public perception. Of oh, it the public perception, right? Is yeah. that he's? Is that they they're richer? Yeah, that the that they shit gold, and so like it would destroy the whole like public perception that he's created about himself. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> he's a paper tiger. <laughs> In, in every sense, and I really feel like this is sort of a another like like little bit of punnery that Germ has worked in here because you know the the names of Tywin's brothers. There's Kevin, and what are the other two? Oh man, I don't know. Actually, I know Kev- Kevin. Um, yeah, there was Garion. Actually, he was the one uh-huh. that went in search for, of uh, Bright Roar, the ancestral um, Lannister. Valyrian steel sword. He went off to Valyria or the the smoking ruins. The, he went uh-huh. to the doom to try to recover Bright Roar, and never came back. That was Garion Lannister. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the if there was another brother. The other's name is Tygit. 
Tygit? Yeah. Huh, how so do, his, how do you his spell brothers, that? It's like T-Y-G-E-T-T-E or something. Hmm. Interesting. But his, basically his brother – and like he gets along fairly well with Kevin but doesn't get along with his other brothers. Uh, his brother's names are basically Tyg and Gurr. Oh yeah, Tyg and Gur. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. So is that? So it's like, is that a pun that? Okay, so he's he's a lion, so he doesn't get along with the tiger. <laughs> or is it that he's not even a lion at all? He's a tiger pr- proposing tiger. as a lion. That's funny, man. And I think about it. Okay, here, what what a uh, archetypal character in literature resembles uh, Tywin and. And you think about it, Shere Khan from the Jungle Book is a lot like Tywin. Whoa. Just the way the the aura of that's intimidation. very true. That posturing and everything. Yeah, and the way every everybody just kind of like cows to him, and then like um, it's like ultimately like fire was the thing he was afraid of. Right. And so, and Tywin's like his main enemies are. Uh, you know, the main threat the to him fire. was the Targaryens. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great uh, connection there. I'd never heard that. Um, also, Machiavelli's the prince. Yeah, he's also yeah very much the the prince from from Machiavelli, and he's a little bit like Julius Caesar, at least when he's like yep. squaring off against Rob. But uh, yeah, I noticed okay the the Shere Khan parallels and. The the whole like I think I don't think there ever was a land the clever I think that was just completely made up. Really? Think, yeah, I think that there's going to be a kernel of truth towards any like legend or or myth or anything like that mm-hmm. in the book, except for land the clever. I think that's the one thing that is just completely made up. So for listeners who may not have picked up on this detail, I think we heard about it on the um, in the show. But Lan the Clever was a uh, – he was the founder of House Lannister who infiltrated the the existing house at Casterly Rock and took it over basically. He discovered a little crack in the rocks, the one that Tyrion used to infiltrate as well in season seven. So the house became known as Lannister after Lan the Clever. Yeah. And in the, the – um... The, the history and lore video uh, with uh, for House Clegane, the first thing the the Sandor says is, most great houses trace their name back so far that nobody can prove it's not true. Something mm, like that. Interesting. I think uh, yeah, I think land the clever. It, 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 the the more I just kind of think about it, the more like just hilariously like oh yeah, because he just wants to be known as clever and you know the 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 one story is that he fooled the the Casterlies into right. um, thinking the place was haunted, and of course you know Lannisters are just too clever to believe in grumpkins and snarks. Snarks, but, right? Yeah, because he was yeah. infiltrating through like the, the 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 rock and through like the sewer systems and like creating like he would like talk and like make people think like where's this coming from and people like started rumors of ghosts in the castle and stuff, right? Yeah, uh, then funny. I yeah I could really go off on a big tangent about that <laughs> so i'll i'll try to rain no pun intended rain myself in <laughs> rain your casimir <laughs> yeah i'll rain in my <laughs> casimir but just uh yeah bring it bringing it back to uh to uh tywin um for, you know, the, the, the term paper tiger like 
you know, he's on paper, he's got all this gold and he's really intimidating, but it's really just like, you know, uh, it, it's just his aura it's or his um, perception that people are like, you know, they're like, oh, he's like so rich and like he's really intimidating, but he doesn't actually ever have to do any of his own like dirty work, you know? Right. <laughs> like pe- People are afraid of him. Like in this episode when like Joffrey is like takes away the stool and then like the crowd is about to erupt into laughter and Tywin just shuts it down with a look. Right. Oh yeah. I love, I love that moment. part. He just like turns around and like and then it's just Joffrey giggling to himself. Yeah. Everyone else is like. <gasps> and it's just like Sir yeah, Khan turns so, around and everyone goes silent. Yeah. So brilliantly or- orchestrated too. Just the way that like you really seemed like the whole place was about to erupt into laughter and Ty would just turns and looks and the whole thing just like shuts down mm-hmm. and oh, so yeah brutal. Tyrion gets like he gets the shit under the stick in this episode a lot like um the afterwards when the the moment comes for where he's about to consummate it you know my lord father has commanded me to consummate this marriage he's all smashed <laughs> and then uh, Sansa pours herself a glass of wine, which is kind of cons- significant considering her prior statement in this episode that she only drinks when she, quote, has to, right? Yeah. So it's like she has to drink to get just to get through sleeping with Tyrion, you know? Yeah. Which makes him feel even worse about himself. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, he already feels like unwanted and everything like that and unloved. And, and then she's like, <laughs> without trying to, she's just like, amplifying it by like oh god i gotta drink just to do this you know <laughs> like yeah and, and he sees that and he's like yeah and then it just even gets even worse and he's like stop i can't you know i could well i could but i won't and then uh <laughs> another good line if my father wants someone to get fucked i know where he can start <laughs> <laughs> i won't yeah. share your bed not until you want me to and she's like well what if i'd never want you to and that's another heartbreaking moment for him and he's just like oh <laughs> and so my watch begins, begins. yeah and that's another implied alternate timeline too because like Tyrion would totally have made like an awesome like maester at the wall or something <laughs> yeah. like that strategic advisor or something and obviously referencing their vows of celibacy mm-hmm. um so did that whole like plot line sort of wraps up in this episode as shay enters the bedchamber and uh and T- Tyrion's just like waking up you can tell he was rocked the, pra- the past night he looks in rough shape you know <laughs> but shay mm-hmm. is like relieved to see that there's no bloody sheets or anything like that so he knows mm-hmm. she knows Tyrion didn't betray her love you know <laughs> which is yeah at least at least shay loves Tyrion. you know someone loves Tyrion. So yeah <laughs> she totally does yeah <laughs> she wouldn't be jealous if she didn't love him yep <laughs> so yeah that pretty much wraps up my number four. Oh man okay so well i i I uh, just wanted to uh, add to it, then sure. uh, go back over it. Um, so on Tywin's wedding night, it was the Mad King who got very is yeah. on record as having gotten very handsy with Joanna, right? And may have actually invoked first rights, even though it was illegal, right? Yeah, that's a rumor. And so now we've got Joffrey trying to do the same shit get in on that action so tywin and, like, must have been pissed that's probably it could be a reason why he like yeah. stopped that shit in its, in its so, tracks 
Yeah, and the whole the whole the whole reason for the betting ceremony is to ensure that like everybody has like a witness because only of once the wedding is consummation. Yeah. Yeah. But Tywin is just like that's all right. I think we can dispense with the betting ceremony, even though he had just been telling Ta- Tyrion that like you will get her pregnant and like been all like hard about it and everything. Mm-hmm. But now suddenly he's it's like he's. I think, you know, he has this soft spot when it comes to this just because of what happened on his wedding night with Eris. Right, like, that's a good point. Like, yeah, you don't have to do that. He can't see, can't stand to see his son getting pushed around by another arrogant king who's going to abuse his wife on his wedding night. <laughs> yeah, uh, I really, I really think that's there. Having bad flashbacks, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's hardcore. So, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely there. Definitely, um, I think that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that. So I think you're probably you probably nailed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, what's your uh, number three? What is my number three? Let's see. Uh, oh yeah, that was my number three. Tywin smiles at Tyrion's clever manipulation of public perception. Ah cool yeah so uh then my number three is the the lion and the roses <laughs> mm. <laughs> and um it's ba- i'm basically talking about cersei and both marjorie and and um Lor- sir loris <laughs> uh-huh. as she basically fucks with both of them um so first it's cersei and marjorie talking before the wedding ceremony and Marjorie's like, you look radiant, you know? And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Radiant? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and she, that's when basically Cersei goes into the the diatribe about the reigns of Castamere and making telling the whole story to uh, to Marjorie, which is good for the audience to learn it, but mm-hmm. basically threatening her at the end. Like, it's a veiled threat, you know? Not, like, barely veiled. But then yeah. as, as if she needed to at the end, she basically she says... If you ever call me sister again, I'll have you strangled in your sleep, bitch. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like she goes through this whole fucking this rant where it's like every it's like sly and clever and it's like a threat without openly threatening, and then at the end she's like, fuck it, I'm just gonna openly threaten you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just really Take, funny. Taking her through the whole like the story of it because it's like it's really the story that gives life to it because people remember it because it's it's so in this intense. Yeah, because the story is just so powerful, but she's yeah. comparing the Tyrells to the um, to the, uh, the the Reigns. Yeah, House Rain was a powerful family, the second wealthiest in Westeros. Aren't the aren't the Tyrells the second wealthiest family in Westeros? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's pretty funny. <laughs> pretty great. Pretty great. Yeah. And then uh, she has a brief interaction with um, with Sir Loras. <laughs> Loris is up top at the at the uh, ceremony, or sorry, at the at the after party, and Tyrion like raises a glass to him. Cheers, mate. You know, and Loris is like, <laughs> like Jeez, looks away, like, oh, like yeah. Like, oh, I'm not, now I'm like the dwarf. The dwarf is commiserating with me. Oh, <laughs> right. It's so funny. Future brother-in-law. Oh goddamn. And uh, he walks over to Cersei, who's standing by the. Uh, at a, like a little window type thing. Uh, well, my father once told, nobody cares what your father once told you. And she just walks away. 
<laughs> this is your betrothed, Cersei. <laughs> the just the, the laugh of the episode, I think, is just because oh, that yeah. scene where like the the way they like build it up the tension a little bit, and he's standing there like trying to gather his wits. Not that he has much wit, but you know he's like trying to think of something to say. Trying to think of something. And the first thing is like something that his idiot father once told him. Right? Yeah, because his father is totally an idiot, Mace Tyrell. Uh-huh. Just a total buffoon. That's a great point. I hadn't even like really thought about that. Like, yeah. Oh, she's and like was, Mace Tyrell. I don't give a fuck about anything that guy says. <laughs> yeah, wasn't Mace Tyrell like? Wasn't Elena supposed to marry his brother, and then she had him killed? Oh, something like that. Um, I think so. Which would make Mace a second son. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. She was Mace is Elena's son. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. But she was so. supposed to marry one person and ended up like going to the brother's bedchamber or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool. In this the same way that uh, you know, like um, Marjorie's supposed Marjorie, to marry Joffrey. Yeah. Elena wants you know has him killed so she can marry Tommen because yep. she wants her men pliable. She wants it, her yeah, just like she did. She want she picked the right brother. You know, she wants her yeah. granddaughter to marry the right one of the sons yeah so that she so that she can be in control and like by but she like by picking a weak-willed ignorant like you know vacant sort of man like they don't really have claws you know their family like the one thing she laments or laments is the whole like gold roses growing strong these are not things to be feared and Winter is coming. Hear me roar. Those are powerful words. Yeah. (laughs) Growing strong. (laughs) Direwolves. Yeah. Kraken. Direwolves. Fire. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But they, but yes, but they, you know, and then like when she's finally like taken out because like the Tarleys, you know, side with the Lannisters and she's like, did we put up much of a fight or, you know, as well as could have been expected? It's like, it was never our forte. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's and, great. Like the, the, the whole, the whole folly of, you know, like she, it was the Tyrells that actually like, can, you know, manipulated House Gardner into fighting in the field of fire in the first place. Yeah, interesting. Because they didn't want, they didn't really like being subject to them. And we know what happened to House Gardner. And for book readers who don't know, you can guess because they don't exist on the show. <laughs> they don't exist yeah. anymore at all. Yep. Yep. Garth and Greenhand. So, and so then like the Tarleys are now like the sort of um, the sword or the the um the actual like muscle for, for Tyrell, yeah. So um and that's like part of why, you know, Randall Tarley's all just like you gotta be hard and strong and like the best, you know, fighter and hunter. True, because that's what his family is relied on to be by the the family in power and their uh, their state essentially. So he's, yeah. he's gotta make sure his kids are strong to continue the family position in their in the hierarchy of the Reach. Yeah, and it's just like this whole thing. Like you see, coming back around full circle again when um, the the High Sparrow takes over, and then everything's out of control, and the Faith Militant is in charge, and like there, you know, Tommen is completely impotent to do anything about it because that's the one that she chose for her daughter to marry. But now backfire. You know, yeah, whereas like earlier, like in in like a few episodes ago, when Marjorie's going to talk to Sansa, and the guards won't leave, and she's like, "Well, I, can I have your name so that uh, Joffrey can know why?" And then they leave right away because 
they know that Joffrey is not going to. Yeah, the difference between Tommen and Joffrey, the uh, Tommen doesn't do shit when the spare like the sparrow, the uh, sparrows. Yeah, they they sort of take over. Joffrey would have been like, kill them all, kill them uh-huh. all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so like that that is really the the tragic folly of of uh, House Tyrell is that they they want their men weak, but then when they need someone to step up, then oh, that's great. They don't have it. Yeah. Good, good point. Really good point. Yeah. That's yeah. Taking it to a new level. I've never really thought about it too much. That, that specific angle. Really good yeah. point. I just noticed that like in this rewatch about the whole parallel. Nice. Thing. Yeah. Great, Start great observation. So, uh, that pretty much wraps up my number three, unless there's something else you want to add or we can move on to your number two. Okay. Well, um, I just wanted to point <laughs> out that, um, <laughs> number two <laughs> <laughs> who does number two work for <laughs> <laughs> so um when when she comes up to um cersei and says you look radiant your grace cersei's standing below the seven pointed star and uh, i just feel like you know she she can't really say what why radiant like what does that mean but it's sort of implied because that seven-pointed star, you know, a star radiates, it's radiant, it's a oh. radiating design that she's standing below. That makes sense. She's and, like, I don't know, it just came to mind, just the, the word that I thought of. And it's also in the, she's also standing in, like, the funeral pyre of Marjorie and her and Oh, Tom. true. Not, Damn. Not yeah, radiant, you'll find out what radiant means in season six yeah she 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 becomes fully radiant <laughs> yeah she oh, will radiate because she's a freaking targaryen and she's all about dracarys big telling time. you hear me now and believe me later mm-hmm. listeners <laughs> all right so what's your uh, number two uh my number two is actually aria and the hound best of friends nice um but since we already covered that, uh, well, well, one thing, uh, going back to uh, the whole thing where Second Sons and Sandor Clegane, when they says, uh, you faced worst odds and run, like, hmm, so has Sandor. Right. Yeah, he said, we've the Second Sons have faced worse odds and won, right? And then the, the response, they've also faced worse odds and run. <laughs> that was a great little yeah. two-liner there. <laughs> Uh, something else that that uh, oh, I meant to kind of uh, talk about for going back to that is uh, um, do they do this? Okay, the second sons are they're like the number two or three uh, company of swords in Essos, like something like that. Yeah, the Golden Company is the most reputed. Uh, one which yeah. was founded by Bitter Steel, one of the great bastards um, who were the Blackfire, essentially offshoot of the Targaryen family, legitimized by Aegon the Fourth on his deathbed. So they, yeah. a lot of them, like when they were when the Blackfires were sort of like expelled from Westeros, they fled to Essos, and Bitter Steel, the lead survivor, eldest surviving great bastard, uh, founded the Golden Company to yeah. build an army to eventually try to take back uh, Westeros and the, the key. Yeah. And so, like, you know, it was, when we were talking about how, like, you know, she doesn't have her dragons there, so she doesn't have that intimidation factor, but Barristan is right there, and but they don't know who he is, really. Yeah, he's a so sleeper. He's a big-time sleeper. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, it doesn't look like much, but he'll fuck you up. <laughs> yeah. He killed the last of the Blackfires in Westeros. Melee's the monstrous? Yeah. Yeah, hardcore. He slew him in battle. So, like, he killed the last guy of who... The last official of, great bastard, right? Yeah, of the of the line of bastards that came over to Essos to form the Golden Company. Right, oh, yes. Who was the number bastard, one sellswords. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, I just thought there was some some sort of, like, tie in there where they're not really taking him as seriously as a threat. As they should, but, especially but, considering his interactions with these companies in the past. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Yeah, they just have no idea who he is. He's yeah. he's one of my favorite characters, man. Barristan, he's a great character. Oh, he's awesome. I, I like just it. He's Batman. Exactly. He's, he's fucking he, Batman. He's he's totally Batman. He who loves... else could sneak into Duskendale and ex- extract a a king by sneaking through an entire army? Like goddamn, only And then fight his way out? Like right. forget only Batman. Only Batman could do that. And it's called uh, Arkham Asylum. Oh man, <laughs> that's basically the story. Of, the story yeah. of uh, and the Bold. That's so true because he goes into Ark in the Arkham Asylum book. He goes in to like rescue what, like a doctor or something. Who's, I don't remember. Yeah, I just but, thought it just one versus everybody, and that's what came to mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Bat- Batman is like the guy that will take out five dudes without a thought. Like that. That's the because I'm Batman. Exactly <laughs> because I'm Batman. You ever see a superhero cafe? Yeah, I think I posted that on the, the <laughs> Facebook page. You oh, know nice. why? <laughs> because I'm Batman. <laughs> that's great. Oh man, it's been forever since I saw those. I just remember them laughing at Peter Parker dancing as he like dancing past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Superhero Cafe, worth watching if you guys uh-huh. like uh, comic books, superheroes, and stuff. It, yeah, it's um, that's really yeah tied tied back to the show. It's like that you know you know how he can do that because he's Batman. Like that, that, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. just like that's just like the barest to take it. He really is just that character where, like, he is like the bar against which you measure all other fighters. Like pretty much, like, like even today I could cut through the five of you like. Butter, you know, like like so much butter. How? Cause I'm Batman. Yeah, cut through you like butter steel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, he likes to he likes to uh, wear disguises too. He likes to dress up in a hooded hooded cloak or some. Yeah, or sometimes he'll uh, dress up as an old uh, like a wino, (laughs) which which Batman has totally done on at least two separate occasions. Nice. Yeah. Uh-oh. That's great. I think there's there's a there's a part in the book that I haven't actually got to, but I've heard a synopsis where he like fights some dude who's got an arc. I think it might have been a Dothraki, like a huge young dude who's like. Ooh. You yeah. have to read to find out. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> it's a total like parallel. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could just I could go off on a long tangent about how Barristan <laughs> is Batman. But, uh, yeah, we'll we'll do a, a special episode about it or something. Yeah, yeah, cool. comic book parallels totally yeah. take up an episode. So moving on, whose turn is it? My number two right now. My number two is Danny and Dario. We pretty much covered that for the most part. 
Yep, covered that fully. So yeah, we covered my number two in full. So now we're moving on to your numero uno. And my numero uno, we already covered, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah, Sam the Slayer. Slayer. Sam the Slayer! Sam the Chick Slayer. (laughs) Yeah. But we somehow missed a... Because I had a lot to say about the Dragonstone stuff. Oh, yeah, that's my number one is Gendry Blood Magic. Oh, nice. Okay. Let's let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Starts off with Robert, or sorry, not Robert, Stannis looking at Gendry and saying, half Robert, half Lowborn. Yeah, so Uh, we got... Which is kind of cool that he could like just pick it right out. He's like, yep, that's my brother, but it's also Lowborn. It's interesting how these families are so like established that they have like physical traits in their families, and you can tell if it's like a lowborn genetics. Yeah, or something. you know what I mean. Like I don't know, it's weird. Stannis is kind of like he's uh, trying to rationalize to himself what he's gonna do to this kid by being like, right? Well, yeah, that's half, the other part of it. That's half a great Robert, part half too. lowborn. So yeah, half worthless. We can yeah. you know, we'll kill him. It doesn't matter. So you've got the 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 second like whatever whoever Robert and Stannis's and Renly's father was. You've got his second son talking to robert's second legitimate son or not legitimate but yeah his second actual son um and then he goes and talks to davos to whom gendry will eventually become like a second son (laughs) that's so funny man yeah oh man i love davos too davos is great he is so adorable just like reading the little like shireen book yeah yeah. he's practicing his reading and shireen would be so proud of him but it's it's cool also for us because we get a little bit of a a history lesson learning about princess visenya targaryen um vagar which was the second of um or it was the smallest of the of the three dragons at that point. There was what Balerion, the Black Dread, Vagar, and um, what was the other the third one that um, that uh, Rainey's rode? Do you remember? Uh, Maraxes. Okay. So it was yeah, Balerion the biggest, Maraxes the second biggest, and Vagar the smallest of the three conquering dragons. Visenya was the um, one of. Aegon the Conqueror's sister wives. Um, so we get a cool little little uh, history lesson here, basically. We learn that Vagar was the smallest of the three, though still large enough to swallow a horse whole. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking huge. I uh, I always kind of have my eye out for like little like Easter egg things, and in this scene where he's got the book open, I noticed that you, know, you can only kind of see through the, the page to I meant to pause and look, but I forgot to. Yeah, I, I I paused it and did a screen grab and brought it into Photoshop and nice. mirror like flipped it and played with the contrast to read it out better and it really just doesn't say anything. <laughs> but it was I tried. worth it though. It was worth it. <laughs> There's like princess and just like if it says anything of mind blowing, I can't make out what the words are Damn. because I could only make out like every other word, but. You're right, though. That was it. Was great seeing Davos practicing and like really working at it, and uh, it was really funny and like cute. And being like, "Fuck me!" <laughs> it's like yeah, reading fuck, this children's fuck book. Me. Yeah, like, part oh, with it. <laughs> That's great. I, I, uh, I, I think I, I forget where it might have been this podcast, but like somebody was um, like asking, like if you could have one piece of legit like Westerosi swag, 
like any any relic or anything from any time, what it would it be? And ooh, a good ha- question. Having thought of it long and hard, I think it would be that book for me because <laughs> really because what would I do with Dawn? You know, because oh, that's what I was thinking. Like, I was thinking Dawn. Oh, Dawn. <laughs> that's what, what I was thinking. Man. Shave with it, cut my head off. <laughs> so yeah, that book would be pretty sweet. That's pretty. That's that's pretty weird though that we both thought Dawn immediately. Like, yeah, because that's like the ultimate like thing that you want to get, right? The but then I'm relic. like, well, I don't actually like fight battles with and stuff. Like, there's nothing Ice to do with that cool except too. maybe. I mean, I guess it'd be good for chopping wood. Yeah, <laughs> ice would be cool too if we're talking about swords. I do have a oh, replica. Uh, <laughs> of ice, actually, I have two. I have one in in high carbon steel and one in Damascus steel. That mm. looks like uh, the the Damascus steel one is like rippled and st- shit. It's oh, supposed to look cool. like uh, Valyrian steel. Nice. Well, ice actually is done. So <laughs> you think so? I think so. Um, but Dawn is supposed to be have a white blade forged from the heart of a fallen star. Okay. Well, maybe uh, ice, ice is, is like... a smoke gray blade. Okay. Dark. So dark may- blade. Maybe it's like right. an alloy. Maybe, uh, <laughs> or maybe it changed after over time. Actually, um, the sword ice was forged more recently, um, to, uh, or maybe, maybe Dawn is the original ice. Is that what you meant? I... Ice, ice is, was forged to represent an older blade that was lost ice, I believe. Yeah. Um, from what, from what I've, and like... it makes sense of white blade, fucking ice, perfect name for it. So I don't I don't think that ice is dawn, but I think that dawn may be the original ice, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, and no one really knows what happened to dawn. Yeah, although, um, uh, yeah, no one really knows. We haven't seen dawn. It's 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 whereabouts is unknown in the show and the books. Um, yeah, I I really want to know what happened to dawn. Because <laughs> I think I think that at our where it is. I think that he'd returned it like you said, but I think that it's it's going to be important and it's going to like resurface at some point. At well, a, he brought it back to a Shardane who then jumped off a cliff in her right. grief, and but so she wasn't the only Dane. There was like Ned, being the honorable man that he was, you know the the sword Dawn is supposed to remain in in the household Dane until someone who's worthy of wielding it arrives but then it's like sitting there on ice essentially waiting for the the new sword of the morning to uh, to wield it pun intended <laughs> sitting on ice yeah <laughs> totally it, i don't know I, I think it's the most likely candidate but partially like remember like jamie has half of it and i think he's sort of like the you know the azora high figure in this book hmm. possibly um uh, in in Valyrian, the the words for Lord of Light and Golden Hand are like a letter apart. For each. What? Yeah, yeah. That's what, crazy. Yeah, there's like a like it, the word for Azor in Valyrian is just like one letter away from the Gold. word Golden, and then the same thing with uh or yeah yeah the word yeah the word for. <laughs> The words <laughs> gold and lord are like one letter apart in High Valyrian. And then oh, same, thing, cool. same thing with uh, hand and light. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's – if you guys have a second, go out on YouTube or something and search for different theories for Azor High, And there's all this different information that 
could pa- paints John as being Azor High, paints Tyrion as being Azor High, paints fucking Sandor as being uh-huh. Azor High, paints Jamie as being Azor High. Like there's so many different ways that it could go. Yeah. And then like, you know, it's pretty wild. Melisande uses the prince that was promised and Azor High like interchangeably. Intercha- yeah, but that doesn't mean necessarily that prince that was promised the same is thing. Yeah, because yeah, they come from two different entirely things. Azor High comes from the uh the the um Ashai legend um yeah and the prince that was promised comes from Westerosi customs and there's all these names in 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 their lore um for what may be all the same person the prince that was promised Azor uh-huh. High Eldric Shadow Chaser the last um, hero the last hero the right stallion they could that all be the, the same person yeah yeah they could all be the same person uh-huh. for all that we know but i think that it's really it's like the 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 hero the the um it's like like I said when when Sam the Lucifer the the bringer of dawn you could say oh, the man person well, to light the uh, light the you know to return the light bring back the light I, I think it's like maybe w- whenever somebody is being the sword that guards the realm of men they are in that this moment archetypal figure yeah they take that on the sense. mantle I don't think it belongs to any single person. So it's like a title, sort of like Sword of the Morning. Yeah. Which could also be the same person, you know, the this guy who brought, who wielded Dawn to end the long night. <laughs> you know, it could be uh, the Sword of the Morning is another another term for the, all these same things, the last hero, the the prince that was promised, etc. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty wild. Wow. Um, man. um but go okay so like try um reeling it back in here uh it's interesting um that that you bring up the the whole lucifer thing because i was recently like re-listening to uh, an older episode of game of microphones where you're talking about religious symbolism and um specifically like the figure of lucifer and you know tying that to like you know how that means bringer of light and like um like Melisande with the, you know, the light bringer and like giving Stannis right. the sword to to hold to like fulfill the prophecy and everything. Because yep. it, it's interesting because I, I had noticed um, it, before before re-listening to that, I, I had already noticed in this rewatch that uh, Stannis is kind of like uh, this this figure. Like he's, I think he sort of like Lucifer or even the word Stan, the name Stannis could be sort of like derived from like Satan. Oh yeah. Satan Stannis. <laughs> yeah. But, um, it's like, you know, like Lucifer, sort of almost an anagram. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I read this, this story. It was actually by Neil Gaiman again, but it was about like, uh, like an angel was talking about like, you know, in heaven before the fall and like, how, like, you know, the Silver City was surrounded by, like, the darkness, and, like, things, like, the, the darkness would, like, whisper to you if you ventured out into it, and, like, mm. Lucifer Creepy. would go out into the darkness back when he was still, like, God's most beautiful angel, and he would, like, go out into the darkness and, like, listen to the voices because it was, like, to test himself because he was, like, the only one that could, you know, that he could trust to do that, but then when... Withstand it. Yeah, like Stannis is kind of always trying to like weigh the the truth or the the virtue of things, like and like he sort of like 
can't even like make up his own mind about things in a way like he he's not it's like because he he ignores his own like sort of like subconscious desires and things he he sort of like relies on having like an outside opinion to sort of figure out what is actually the right thing to do because right. if he just listened he doesn't listen to his heart because if he did he like you know he's got to be the lord and do things not just for him, himself or based he's on his like, own self he's sort of like back and forth with this cuz sometimes he's just like he has his mind made up and then other times he's like taking counsel from the red woman basically you know yeah he's like I, I, back and forth i think once he when he makes up his mind about something he kind of like sets it like i mean I, like it's like here he comes to free davos like right at the time when you know, the the whole, like, Gendry thing is about to happen, and Davos points it out to him, like, saying, like, you could have freed me yesterday or tomorrow. But you right, chose, yeah, you that's actually, yeah, we definitely need to talk about that scene. Yeah, and he's just like, you, you know, you chose, you chose to free me now because this is, uh, yeah, because basically it's not in your heart. Like You, you want me to talk you down from this. Yeah. You're, uh, you're... You're, you know you're going to do the wrong thing, and you're looking for someone to, to set you back on the right course. And Davos yeah. is always that guy for him, uh-huh. giving him good advice. He's like uh, you know, his right-hand man. Yeah. Um, it's funny, too. You can see how much Stannis cares about Davos right when he walks in. He says, you don't belong in a place like this. Yeah. And he apologizes about his son and tells him he, you know, he didn't get a chance to tell him beforehand. Yeah. The first thing he says to him is, are they feeding you? And uh, just about make, <laughs> they we remember you enough. Yeah, because and it was like the whole thing was that like Stannis made sure that his family was fed like right the, and before At the and, siege of uh, Storm's End. Yeah, he and, snuck in with his black black onion ship, you know, his black yeah. sail, his smuggler ship, and fed them onions. You know, remember Stannis had that crazy monologue where they first they ate the horses, you know, whatever. Yeah, and they had to eat the dogs, and he liked dogs, so that wasn't really cool. Then. Yeah, and then, eating all the rats, and they were eating like soles of boots. And yeah, stuff until, and boiling like the book leather and stuff. Yeah, until Davos showed up with onions and saved the day. And that, that was interesting. And so, like, there's another like callback, like parallelism, where, um, you know, like everybody was starving, and then Davos came and saved the day with food, and Stannis was like, you know, just making sure that everybody was fed before him, and you know, didn't didn't betray any emotion and just kind of did what was like his duty to his family and his household and like but then there's this sort of like this moral relativism relativism aspect to it too where like you know he first you know he killed the cats and it's like i never much cared for cats right but then 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 we killed the dogs you know it's too bad i like dogs they're loyal and like you know how it shows how he like he values loyalty loyalty. And it's like exactly. in this scene, he's like, he asks him, you know, are they feeding you? And then talks about his son and saying, I liked your son. He was loyal. You know, like, and it's sort of like, it just, uh, it just kind of Consistency. Yeah. Like, yeah. He values, like. Good lad. Loyal yeah. lad. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. So then uh, they're sort of like, he's, he's telling him like why should i spare the son of some tavern slut robert bedded one drunken night he's like he's got your blood in his veins you know and stannis replies so did renly so davos points out well well renly wronged you he declared himself king when the throne belonged to you he raised an army stole your bannermen this boy has done you no harm he's an innocent 
you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, I, th- I think that it sort of hits Stannis. So uh, Stannis must have said something to Melisandre because the plan changes and they decide just to leech him instead. Yeah. <laughs> to start. Yeah. Um, oh, and what a twisted... What a twisted plot! She, to draw blood to the surface for the leeches, she she starts oh. to seduce him to engorge. Oh you know, man, I did ones, not even think plot. of I did not <laughs> even think of that motivation. Like, That's so so twisted. Oh man, right? yeah, I did write down that like uh, Gendry gets his dick sucked by leeches. <laughs> <laughs> not by a person though. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't occur to me that she was actually trying to like engorge the blood or something, but man. Right, isn't that messed up? Like, that's yeah. so twisted. And then it could even be taken as, as like the one way, and they do this all the time where it's like you could take it one way, but then you think about it, it's like, oh wait, but it's also like, you know, she could have been just trying to like get him to lower his guard and like get all the brain out of, or the blood out of his brain into his nether regions so that he wasn't yep. thinking and but then like oh there's that other like secondary um facet to it which is wow um whoa it's, it's funny because anytime I talk about Game of Thrones or anything I constantly just I'll just stumble upon something just by talking about it and I'll be yeah, like yeah that's the best yeah that's what that's really what I love about this is I just everything is just so manifold and just folded in on itself and there's so many facets to explore for everything like yep down to like the microcosmic level it's really crazy yeah it's pretty nuts so davos is like well why did you come see me today he's like i came to free you you know but he's like basically saying like you know you came to see me to talk you down yeah um so melisandre leeches him gets gets the blood in a twisted way and uh stannis and davos walk in and they you know he tosses the leeches onto the brazier right yeah and he says uh, the names right um oh but there there's some cool stuff before we like really get to that where um you know davos is speaking with stannis and stannis makes the point where uh, he's like, listen, I saw a vision in the flames, you know, because Davos yeah. is talking shit about Melisandre. He's like, I, I, I saw a great battle in the snow. I saw it, and whatever, and you saw whatever she gave birth to. You know, I never believed, but when you see the truth, when it's right there in front of you, yeah. as real as these iron bars, how can you deny her God is real? And, and that's it, the creepy, yeah. the creepy, creepy relore music kicks in. And right. like it's like wow that is true cosmic horror like that is very that is so like Lovecrafty and like like what not only okay so what if there there is a god it's not the god you thought it was but he's it's this weird demonic like yeah twisted god with like motives you could never understand and to whom like humans are so, so inconsequential that it, that are we're not even like special in the universe and like. Like the just what we thought of as reality could just be completely like just bottom out and just be subverted by these arcane forces that we'll never <laughs> really understand. It's a great way to put it. Yeah, and yeah. it's even creepier from that perspective too, because the red god is like the only one that we've seen a lot of direct evidence to show that it exists. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> the red god's doing stuff all over the place. Um, yeah, you know, as opposed to uh, 
other theoretical gods which haven't really you know responded we could say <laughs> yeah to people's prayers and cries and needs yeah it's, so in, it's, pretty it's interesting because I, I feel like um yeah the you know with the okay there's the three forks of the trident and the three colors of wildfire and what each is associated with its own god there's the red and then the green for the old gods and the blue for the great other wow. and uh yeah, good point too yeah, and so uh, the the red god is we hear him referred to that in Harrenhal by Jockin, who's talking about what the red god demands, mm-hmm. whatever. And so I feel like you know specifically when you call him the red god, you're talking about like the the killer aspect of him, the the, the, the destructive fire. Yeah, yeah. and yep. the uh, three and, gods uh, or like three aspects of a god sort of mimic the holy trinity as well. <laughs> Oh man, so many, so many different tangents for everything. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, Gendry walks through the bedchamber at Dragonstone, just mystified by the uh, the the wealth and the quality of all this stuff. And uh, Melisandre is kind of playing off that. Have you ever seen one like it? You know, any? I've never seen anything like any of this yeah. <laughs> Not in my life. It's shocking, isn't it? The first time you encounter real wealth. And they sort of connect over bowls of brown, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, we'd pretend that the meat in them was chicken. We knew it wasn't chicken. Which <laughs> 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 is fucked, but also really funny. Um, so she she tells Gendry to, here, taste this. And she hands him a beautiful crystal chalice uh, filled with a light red wine. And uh, he, like, he like gives her a look like he's scared to drink it. And she's like, you think, you think I'm trying to poison you? <laughs> and for the viewer, yeah. you know, as, as we've already seen Melisandre drink poison when Maester Cresson tried to kill her, yeah. um, so as viewers, we're unconvinced that she's still like really not trying to poison him. You know, like She could still be, because she takes a sip to try to prove to him, I'm not trying to poison you. But as viewers, we're like, oh, well, we know that she's survived that before, right? Yeah. So that was pretty slick. And there's um, an interesting like, parallel there with uh, Varys. And when he comes to Ned in the dungeon and gives him a water, oh right, or no, it was wine actually. That's right. Oh, was it? Yeah, he, in the book anyway, he brings him wine and thinks, nice. "You think I mean to poison you? There's no love for a eunuch." And he like tastes it himself, <laughs> and it's just kind of like, "Yeah, if I wanted to poison you right now, I could have, but yeah, you know, kill you a million no, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna kill you later in a much more horrible way." <laughs> That's my take on it because nobody. Do you think actually, Varys was responsible for that? For what? For him? No, I think Varys just had nefarious um, Oh, plans, okay, but yeah, not the way he actually died, but just some future plan or something. Yeah, I think I think Varys is just really, like, I think he's on par Shady with Melisanda as, as far as, like, what he'll do to accomplish his ends. Oh, definitely. He's, and that's yeah. why they have their sort of, like, mashup in Season 7. Yeah, he's he's done dirty stuff to get where he is now, selling all the parts of his body that he could, kill, you know, stealing people things, killing people, I'm sure like he he did did the world dirty to to rise up from th- um the streets of Essos, you know. Yeah. Um uh, so. I could yeah, I could I won't I won't bog this down in the discussion about varies and how maybe I think <laughs> Yeah, we'll is. get into it at some point. I just had to throw that out sure. since we came to that point where Definitely. she was tasting the wine. But, <laughs> For sure. Uh, so Gendry finally drinks the wine, and he's like, he's like, that's good, that's really good, you know, and it's kind of, his reaction's sort of priceless. 
Um, and it's, she has a funny thing where like, where is, where do you think it's from? It doesn't, doesn't even matter. Does it? It's, it's the real thing or it's not. You, you only need, need a tongue to tell the difference. Yeah. Um, so, um, and she's talking about like eyes and, and like, you only need eyes to see and you only need a tongue. Right. To- yeah. You need your tongue to only need your tongue to taste, to, to know. Right. And then mm. a God is real. She, she strips naked. Right. And as she does that, she says a God is real or he is not. You only need your eyes to see. And I thought that was a funny line to be juxtaposed against Gendry seeing her naked body. Yeah. Considering that she's using a glamour and that she's actually a very elderly woman, yeah, he would, he would technically need more than just his eyes to determine what, he's, yeah. what he sees as real or exactly. not in this circumstance. Then, <laughs> so it's a great combo. Uh huh. And like later on, when she's showing Stannis's wife like all those like potions and saying, "Oh, this one does this," but it's just an illusion. But right, it's really it, it's an illusion that brings you to the Lord of Light. So you know what's the point? You know that that's the whole point and uh she she does that like right before they're about to like go to the wall where eventually like she'll learn that she's just been wrong about so many things but it's so many things brings her to the lord of light so uh, yeah it's crazy man yeah um what is interesting about this whole like scene with like gendry is that the way that like this show has been criticized for portraying rape um, and it's been called like anti-feminist because of that, and yeah. it, it's sort of like you know. It... I think it's just kind of like a realistic portrayal of the way shit, you know, yeah. in medieval sort of times. Yeah, right? and I think I think a lot most people would probably agree with that, and yeah, you know, we can't, you know, project our own societal values onto something else. Yeah, and in a way, it's almost like kind of like you know we. You know, since people were were criticized, since the days when that stuff was being criticized, a lot has come out that shows that, like, hey, messed up things actually do happen, and people have been like silent about it for such a long time. Right? Yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> but the one thing that nobody really like harps on is this thing with Gendry, and like right. even even in like the one episode, even in Beyond the Wall, and Gendry's all like making a fuss about it, and. The house is like, stop your whinging, like. <laughs> stop your whinging. Don't so be a little you got tied down, got sucked off by a leech. Yeah, don't be a little <laughs> bitch just because you were taking a like you know somebody sexually abused you. Like it's fine, you're a man, it's okay. You can't really doesn't really count. Like, you know, the same way that people think of Marjorie as like one of the good guys, even though she's like totally taking advantage of a like boy who's just going she's through a, puberty and everything. She's like a fucking sexual tyrannosaurus. <laughs> you know, predator. Yeah, let me make you a goddamn sexual tyrannosaurus. <laughs> That's Marjorie, the sexual tyrannosaurus. Oh man, I wow. Well, uh, she really Different is type of dragon, or like a velociraptor, maybe. <laughs> she like sneaks up. Oh man, time to to murder some kings with some blood magic, though, right? Maybe. So yeah, I love that scene with the blood magic. It's just like kind of eerie. He t- slowly tossing the leeches onto the brazier. Yeah. The usurper Rob Stark, the usurper Balon Greyjoy, the usurper Joffrey Baratheon. And later, later Oof. on, when like so one of those guys dies, either Rob or um, Joffrey. I think yeah, Rob. He, he's like, yeah, I think <laughs> um, he's like smiling smugly at Davos and thing. You see, he died. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. I said the name, and he died. 
Yeah, (laughs) right, exactly. Fucking work, told you. Lord of Light's the shit, bro, you gotta convert. But it's just like, yeah, it's like, what really killed him? (laughs) Yeah, for real. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, was it it really the leech that led to that? Or, uh, I don't know, if if you think about it, he says the usurper. Butterfly effect? Yeah, the the, the (laughs) usurper robbed Stark, but he wasn't actually trying to usurp. And he says Joffrey, Joffrey, Joffrey Baratheon when he's not actually a Baratheon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's funny, man. Might be that Balon was the only one, but that probably would have happened anyway. But I am the storm, <laughs> brother. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But also um, the so the lamb saw the blade in this case like oh did it did it though well well um, yeah it, it only because it survived to to see it but yeah well yeah. well um if the leech is the blade it definitely saw the blade well but it was it was kept well you know, the lamb uh, is Gendry and yeah. he definitely like he didn't just like he wasn't just didn't just have his throat slit unexpectedly like he saw it coming basically she sort of like hid the blade though you we could say that the blade was i mean you could look at it like the leeches like yeah he saw the blade but she kept him like oh lulled in like fantasy land of happiness until like his feet were tied you know yeah and just long enough to the tie feet him being up tied yeah the feet being tied is like the equivalent of like the death stroke but, know, but except this is the non-lethal version but he's, the he's fear <laughs> the fear seeps into the blood spoils the oh, flavor yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, it's it's spoiled big time. <laughs> yeah, maybe that spoiled the the blood. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. So like, I I have this like I'm working on this like I'm not exactly set on it, but there's some sort of sense of right and wrong like within the cosmic world of Planetos that like, sure people like they're like the trial by combat like you're if you actually have there's certain vows that are sacred that if you if you break your vows or you, you, you know, like guest right. Yeah. Guest rights or, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of like, kin slang. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, like even in the, the history and lore video, I love how Germ gives everything these impossibly long names. So whenever you're talking about it, you have to like trip over your, (laughs) but in the history, history and lore, Blu-ray special features. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yes. Yeah, so, so uh the uh yeah, Stannis talks about how when Robert's rebellion went down, he had to think about it long and hard because, you know, going against his king or and ultimately he chooses, you know, the the he went um, side of his blood. The the law of of blood of, you know, of your being loyal to your family is older, so it takes precedent and so that's why he sided with Robert. It wasn't because of any like particular love or loyalty towards right he didn't even particularly like robert yeah just beloved brother robert take it out yeah harmless courtesy my lord a lie take it out yeah exactly he he, like stannis is the guy that does everything by the letter like completely so he's sort of the the bellwether for you know when he says that the 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 law of blood of um loyalty to your family takes precedent over loyalty to your king then you know that is probably true because Stannis just doesn't, you know, he's so anal retentive about always doing his duty and doing everything. Right. And then he fucked up big time by 
you know, he bailed on that principle entirely when he burned his daughter. Yeah. And, and but, immediately paid the price. And it's like, and he's like, but he's caught between these like um, belief systems where R'hllor is new to him and he doesn't fully understand it. But then like he's learning about it from somebody who doesn't fully understand it, but presents herself. As, yeah. <laughs> And like the right, way yeah, she but says, presents it like she does. <laughs> yeah, she says like nothing done in the service of the Lord of Light can be wrong. But you know, I think Karma disagrees. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, you know, like uh Davos is probably favored by the Lord of Light over Melisandre, uh, ironically. Um and he sort of says like, yeah, but you know, he's the one who declares that like yeah, but Renly wronged you, so that was different. But this guy is your blood. And he probably saves Stannis, like, temporarily by freeing Gendry. Like, so saves Stannis from making that fatal mistake. And then Stannis mm-hmm. sends him away deliberately so he won't talk him out of burning Shireen. Or actually, you know, just also just probably to spare him the the sight of it, too. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I... I in the in the Battle of Blackwater, when like Shay is talking to Sansa, and you know saying, and Sansa says, "Joffrey will come back. The bad ones always survive." Then the camera like kind of pans over to the the fiery braz- brazier like around the the column, and just kind of like lingers on the fire for a second. Interesting. Yeah, and so my my working hypothesis on that is that that's when the Lord of Light heard Sansa and started to actually like take note of it, and cool. That's probably what led up to the Purple Wedding. Maybe. Yeah, it makes sense. It's possible because Sansa prays it to the Seven, possible. and they're the ones that were we're pretty sure aren't actually real gods. <laughs> right. But when right. she don't says that in front of the fire, shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right in front of the fire and then yeah, and all of a sudden Joffrey's deoed. Yeah, well, it took it yep. took it, it wasn't all of a sudden. I mean, it did yeah, take yeah. quite a while, but <laughs> you know, the, the Lord of Light though. works on it in his own time. The Lord of Light works in mysterious ways. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else from the uh this episode that we missed? Tons. Tons after after season eight, and we'll do another rewatch, and we'll see you <laughs> yeah. even more. We'll be like, how did we miss that? It was right, right there the whole time. Yeah, well, we're waiting for the new series to come out, the spinoffs. Oh yeah, and then that then that'll come out, and then it'll be like, oh wow! And once you watch the rewatch with like that in mind from this, <laughs> and then suddenly, another rewatch. Whoa! And I can't believe that was right there the whole time. I know, right? Oh my god! <laughs> and I will be there to be like, I told you. <laughs> yep. I told oh, you. Man. Varys is totally shady, and there are no real Lannisters, and. Um, you know, all my other stuff is true, too. Freaking, the world is actually inside of a hollow sphere, and <laughs> it really is all about cocks in the end. How, how, <laughs> all about uh, pods cock. <laughs> all about pods cock. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> can, I, can I go off on a pod tangent now? Are we, like, done with the main thing? Cause, yeah, I think we're pretty much wrapped up with the main thing. Okay. Pod is not a sex god. Sorry, guys. Um, we all love to praise, to overly praise a famous name, but I really just don't think that 
I think he just kind of like came in his pants right away and then <laughs> Littlefinger came out and was like, how about I make a deal with you? You keep an eye on the dwarf for me. Oh, man. Yeah, because Littlefinger was still in town at the time when that thing, that whole thing went down. Why would, true, the, why would the prostitutes give up Littlefinger's gold when he could be watching at any point? I can't see Pod betraying Tyrion, though. I mean, he saved his life at the Battle of the Blackwater. Yeah. And he's shown, like, beyond loyalty to Tyrion, you know what I mean? I think that he was planted by Varys to um, kill that guy to earn, uh, earn favor with him. Next, that's next level conspiracies, layers and layers. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing is knowing what I know about Germ now, he's totally into these next level and layers and yeah. layers of. Conspiracy. He definitely bakes layer cakes. And like he, I've heard him talk about the War of the Roses. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, the War of the Roses and how Lancasters like Lancasters and um, and yeah, the Yorks and the Lancasters. Uh, Yorks, yeah. Um, and like how like what he specifically thought was like so fascinating about that was that there's like the story that everybody knows about it and that he's like you know grown up like knowing and then like reading more into it you find that like this document from this other town where it tells a completely different story or a different point of view of things and then like you read this other thing from this other town and how like oh and there was actually like a possible like this person is saying that like this guy might have been switched at birth or like and then there's like all these different levels of like you think you know the story and then you go back and it's like actually like there's a lot more to it or like what you thought about this person might actually be completely wrong from this other point of view and i think that like he writes in this way to make you make assumptions about somebody and then completely subvert your assumptions totally it's brilliant really and so i think i i love pod and i want him to be a good guy and i think ultimately he is but in kind of in a jorah kind of way where he was actually set up to be an informant but his loyalty kind of grows there's there doesn't seem to be anything um nefarious at play with brienne though and his sort of loyalty and his bond with her sort of uh, yeah sort of reinforces my suspicion of that being um a factor with Tyrion that he just like has this loyal he's like you know like Stannis would like that fucking guy because he's loyal to good lad a loyal lad you know <laughs> yeah but so I mean, yeah who knows you know so he comes and brings his the and gives back the jewels to Tyrion and then Tyrion's like all like we need details copious details, details. details copious details we don't hear those copious details ourselves though and mm-hmm. okay so i think that Tyrion is so much into this whole like narrative of you know cripples bastards and broken things and rooting for the underdog and he wants this story of pod the sex god to right, be he just true wants to buy it so he buys into it whereas braun is listening and kind of is just like well but he's not really I mean, he likes Tyrion, but he's not really loyal to Tyrion beyond, like, the money. A little bit, you know, with the friendship or whatever. You see this character sure. arc with him he's, where he's, he's changing. He's not willing to, like, really risk his life. Like, if he doesn't think he's going to... Like, if he thinks he's, like, legit probably going to die, he, he won't 
Yeah. Uh, but I think he does have like a deep respect and admiration for Tyrion, though. It's just he, he just wouldn't fight the mountain for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But he he did at least you know be you know open about it, and I think he'll he'll yeah. have a character arc where he sort of has to finally like make a choice. That Bron? Yeah, I think he'll probably make the right choice. Like I hope so. It's unselfish eventually. I hope he ends up, you know, fighting with with uh, Tyrion and Drogon and Jorah. Man, what a combo! <sighs> Adding Bronn to that whole combo, the Eastwatch Eight. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. totally. Or now that Thoros is gone, to swap him out with Bronn. That's the ultimate fighting combo right there. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, excluding the Mountain, who you would want to fight with. Yeah, but it's basically it was Bronn and Jamie that set Pot up with Brienne, and I think that Pot, I think. Braun is kind of like, well, he's a good lad, and he just kind of got mixed up in this thing in over his head, and uh, we'll just we'll just send him far away with this um, Brienne to be like, do you know anybody who needs a squire that we can send far away that'll be good to this guy? And Jamie's like, I Tyrion, know Tyrion sent him with her, right? Did he? Um, he doesn't even know her. He just wanted to make oh. sure that Pod was like looked after and. So, right, yeah, I don't, I don't remember, actually. It's slipping my mind. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. But, like, I guess, you know, he got <laughs> sent away from King's Landing to for his own safety. Um, but he is related to Illyn Payne, and Illyn Payne is loyal to Tywin. True. Illyn Payne, he's a cool character. Yeah. I, I also have a, a sub-theory. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah? Well, okay, well, maybe, okay... Well, first of all, I, I did I did subscribe for the longest time that, that Podrick is all about like servicing people, or he's all about like you know he's a giver. <laughs> yeah, he's a giver, so that's why they liked him. But then I was like, well, maybe he's just really good with his tongue, and maybe that's <laughs> why Ilan Payne's tongue was cut out, and, and Ty, Tywin you know made up that it was because he was talking, you know, saying that Tywin was the real power behind the throne, because Tywin's all about the PR and you know public perception, so and you know. Now that he doesn't have a tongue, he can't deny it anyway. So, but maybe he was just jealous, in the way that Ramsay was jealous of Theon, and so he cut off his maybe like, tongue. Maybe he cut off his most prized possession. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Ilan Payne just had like a really long, like freakishly long Gene Simmons tongue. <laughs> oh man, it's possible. <laughs> oh, we should uh, we should move on. Okay, <laughs> but I do wait, 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 because because sure. anytime there's a character who seems completely face value, you really need to step back and like really think about what is, yeah what they if they appear one dimensional, like you need to be wary. Yeah, you're being I you're agree. being directed, like your yep. your your focus. To, they totally direct your focus, and we're all susceptible to Total it. Magician and trick. I want Podrick and Missandei to both just be what they seem like. So misdirection. But I really just yeah. don't think that that the horse would have given up the gold when Littlefinger was still in town. I just don't see that happening. It is pretty bizarre. It is pretty bizarre. And I think, yeah, in this episode... Well, maybe Brienne can vouch for Pod eventually. Oh, man, I don't know. But, uh, man, vouch for his loyalty, for his uh, <laughs> devoted his servitude. <laughs> Podrick. Oh, man. Will you unstrap my armor for me, Podrick? Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm not a knight. Ah. <laughs> oh. 
All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break and uh, stay with us, guys. There's there's more to come. <laughs> skipping the news segment because <laughs> it's super spoilery out there so we don't want to spoil you guys or us um but if you know if there's any like really non-spoilery news we'll try to find it for the next time or whatever but we're going to jump right into our game of thrones and history segment this week in our game of thrones and history segment we have an article from thoughtco.com and it is five times game of thrones got mythology and history really right Take it away, Sir Patrick. All right. Let me just warm up here. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> rubble baby buggy bubbles, rubble baby buggy bubbles. <laughs> Irish wristwatch, Irish wristwatch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Irish wristwatch. Irish wristwatch. <laughs> That's a brutal one. Yeah. So, the wall. Ever wonder where the wall, the great northern boundary of the seven kingdoms, came from? Try Hadrian's Wall. A 73-mile-long fortification constructed by the Roman Emperor Hadrian in 122 CE to guard his British conquests. Sure, the real-life wall wasn't built of ice and didn't loom hundreds of feet high like the Wall of Westeros, but it was still super impressive. Martin recalls that he visited northern England in 1981 and stood atop Hadrian's Wall, imagining what it must have been like for Roman soldiers stationed there. I just imagine him <laughs> pissing off of it. <laughs> yes. Uh, that, that moment uh, served... He pulled out his pink mast. And his fat <laughs> pink mast. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so, yeah. Anyway, so... Um, imagining what it must have been like for Roman soldiers to pee off of it. That, <laughs> the, that moment served as the inspiration for the Great Wall of Westeros. Both walls guarded southern territories from northern barbarians, in the case of Hadrian's fortification, manned by Roman soldiers. The alleged offenders were the tribes occupying what is now Scotland, including the Picts and Scotty. Scotty? Oh. <laughs> beam me up, bitch. <laughs> Scotty, beam me up, bitch. <laughs> the, the fictional wall, however, had the Night's Watch, a specific group of men dedicated to protecting the boundary, which was aimed at keeping out the likes of the others. That's pretty cool. Hadrian's Wall um, actually is really impressive. 73-mile-long fortification like of that size built in the Roman times. Like That's huge, man. Yeah. It's really, really impressive. It's cool. I didn't know that you could still go and stand on it. I think it's only like three feet tall at some point. Huh. I remember seeing it just like... Uh, actually, I think I went there on like Google Earth after I heard... George talking about it. I like looked at it and it's like it's only like three feet high. Not even <laughs> maybe it's taller in yeah, parts of it. But it's gotta be. <laughs> if 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 George was thinking about Night's Watch guys up there, <laughs> or what it would it be like? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Number two, Bran. 
Little Bran, the youngest Stark sibling, has gone on more than his fair share of adventures, but his three-eyed raven pal is rather mysterious. But when we delve into mythology, as often happens, the genesis of some of Martin's ideas come to light. In Celtic myth, there was a hero, Bran the Blessed. And guess what Bran means in Welsh? Raven, of course. Ho, 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 ho. Just as Martin's Bran has the magical ability of foresight, Bran the Blessed also had special skills. He owned a magical horn of plenty, and after his death, his severed head was buried beneath London to ward off invaders. And as the wise folks on Reddit note, Bran Stark was paralyzed after the Jamie Lannister after Jamie Lannister tossed him off a tower, while Bran the Blessed had some crippling wounds of his own. Interesting. Wow. That is... Oh, man. Love that stuff. Do you know of any one-eyed lightning lord who has a drunken warrior friend with an enchanted <laughs> magical weapon? <laughs> Odin? Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. And what's That's his buddy's great. name? Thor. Thor. Oops. With the hammer. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That's a good good one, man. Yeah. But yeah, Thor, Thoros, and then like when you meet him on oh, the hill, he's brilliant in the tree roots. Sorry. Okay. So that's that's amazing. Yeah. All right. Number three. Yes. So uh, Patrick, number three. Royal incest. Oh. Okay. The Targaryen <laughs> family, former rulers of Westeros, had the habit of marrying close relatives to keep the royal blood pure, to avoid mingling royal blood with polluted families. But this wasn't a novel idea. There was a common notion amongst a number of ruling clans in the eastern Mediterranean, including the ancient Egyptians. For thousands of years, pharaohs often wed their sisters or daughters as a means of doubling up on the royal bloodline, though kings, of course, also had many concubines or minor wives, but their chief wives were really, really close blood relatives. Since the pharaohs considered themselves pretty much divine, they had to do as the gods did, i.e. marrying siblings. Crazy. Interestingly, mm. during the Amarna period, Egyptian monarchs refused to marry off princesses of the royal house to foreign kings. Conversely, though, pharaohs took tons of foreign brides for themselves. <laughs> Did they think their girls were too good for their fellow monarchs? Probably. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, do as we say, not as we do. <laughs> Four. Brutally murdering royals. Before Robert Baratheon became king, he had to boot out his Tar- Targaryen. Uh, I'm gonna start that over. Before Robert Baratheon became king, he had to boot out his Targaryen rivals first. One of those was Daenerys' older brother, Prince Rhaegar, and his wife's babies. During the sack of King's Landing, Gregor Clegane committed some dastardly deeds, done dirt cheap, <laughs> raping and murdering Rhaegar's wife, Princess Elia, and then killing his two little kids, Rhaenys and Aegon. As awful as this was, he managed to eliminate, eliminate Robert's rival heirs to the throne. Warriors committing atrocities on infants is nothing new, though, if you're a fan of Greek myth. At the very end of the Trojan War, when the Greeks sacked the city of Troy, many of the Aegean... How do you pronounce that? I think it's Achaean. Many of the Achaean warriors wrought havoc on the women and children they they pronounced, (laughs) they encountered. In particular, either Odysseus or Achilles' son, Neoptolemus, turned brutal and tossed Hector's baby son, Astanax, over the walls of the city. Like Aegon, the boy was a potential heir to the throne, 
and a of a revitalized Troy if it ever got back on its feet. And if you guys want to learn about number five, you're going to have to go to thoughtco.com or Google five times Game of Thrones got mythology and history really right with the number five as opposed to the full word five. Oh. Lord Matthew of House Rep. Second Sons was a terrific episode. Not only did it introduce the Titans, Bastard Marrow, and the eponymous mercenary trope, troop, the Second Sons, but the Second Sons of the Baratheon, Clegane, and Lannister families have some great moments, like you were saying. It's awesome. Yeah. I didn't even think about it like that. First, Stannis finally seeks counsel with his hand, Sir Davos, and in the end shows mercy, not killing Gendry. That leeching scene was intense, foreshadowing the deaths of Rob, Joffrey, and Balon. One of the leeches even bursts, spewing out foul liquid as the scene cuts <laughs> to Joffrey drinking at Tyrion's wedding. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I love those transitions. They're great. Wow. Great catch. Yeah. I didn't even notice. Yeah. Wow. Our second son, Tyrion, marries Sansa. Neither is happy about it, and Joffrey makes sure to torture them both. Tyrion's mouth is almost the death of him, but luckily plays it off by pretending to be drunker than he really was. <laughs> so awesome. Our final second son, Sandor Clegane, begins his trek with Arya, who he surprises by telling her he plans to deliver her to her mother and brother. A last note, I know Sam is the older Tarly, even if he is second in his father's eyes, but damn, it was awesome to see him take out that White Walker. Why did he leave that dragon? Why did he leave the dragon glass, though? Come on, Sam, you're smarter than that. Wait, he left it? <laughs> yeah, it didn't show him picking it up. I bet that he picked it up, though. You know, I bet he, I bet he did grab it. Oh, man, maybe it's still there, though. It could be. You maybe We should go find it. Fuck. Oh, man, yeah. All right. Lady Sarah of House Larkham says, Peter Dinklage was amazing in this episode, threatening Joffrey, and this bites Tyrion in the ass at his trial in season four. Yeah, everything he does, like, bites him in the ass. <laughs> Big time. We get introduced to the second sons and Dario Naharis. Sam kills a White Walker with dragon glass. Also, we see disgusting Tywin force Tyrion bed Sansa and get her pregnant which doesn't happen. Sophie Turner was amazing in this episode, being freaked out while Joffrey walks her down the aisle. Yeah, she Agreed. gives a really good performance, too. Yeah, she's quite the actress. She's going to be playing uh, Dark Phoenix in the new X-Men movie, too. Stay around, uh, hang around after the show, guys, if you want to hear us talk a little bit about X-Men and uh, Star Wars. All right, that's our show, episode 70. Thanks for listening, everybody. And a huge thanks to Sir Patrick of Hindsight for joining us today. Oh, dude, no, the honor is all mine. I can't believe it's kind of like, I don't even know, it's um, it's like meeting Santa Claus and Batman all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, it's like... Meeting George R. R. Martin and Barristan together. <laughs> oh, man, if you, could, if you could talk to George R. R. Martin and ask him one question, what would it be? What would it be? Be like, uh, I'd if if I asked him one question, I'd ask, "What are all of the myths and historical events that you based your your novel on?" Because I'd want to hear him. 
specifically say, well, this is based on this, this is based on that, you know what I mean? It'd be yeah. cool to hear it from his, from the horse's mouth, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would just... That I would, would be my <laughs> question. And be like, do you have do you have uh, 72 hours for me to... Take a bunch of speed and just answer a bunch of questions for 72 hours straight. <laughs> George R. R. Martin on speed. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he needs some speed to get these books done. Like, oh man, I need to go right. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. All right. <laughs> so next episode, we'll be covering season three, episode nine, The Reigns of Castamere. Oh, man. That is the infamous Red Wedding episode. So give it a watch and send us your thoughts because we'd love to read them on the air. Yes, we love your feedback. And I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, no, I love the, the feedback is one of the, the greatest parts of the show. Just the, the way is. this is like. I feel like there's such a collaborative aspect to this show that it really sets it above and beyond. You know, also, you know, Duncan's buttery, smooth voice and all that. <laughs> what uh, are you talking about, boy? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, I try to do that. Like, I really want to, like, build a community with the with this show and get everybody, you know, get everybody's thoughts and opinions and feedback out there. Send me your thoughts so that I can do that for you, please. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at our new email address, which is ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Also, give us a call, leave us a voicemail at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. Also, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And you can always send us voice recordings to our email as well. We'd love to play those on the show. Imslap! Oh. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at... GOM podcast. <laughs> Give us a like on Facebook and an iTunes rating slash review. That's our show, everybody. Thanks for Thanks listening. Thanks for listening. Pick her up and carry her to the wedding bed. Get rid of her gown. She won't be needing it any longer. Ladies, attend to my uncle. He's not heavy. There will be no bedding ceremony. There will be if I command it. Then you'll be fucking your own bride with a wooden cock. <laughs> that was awesome, dude. Nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. Nailed it. That'd be the best. Shut up, you cunt, and eat your breakfast. That would be the... <laughs> and there's a like, kind of callback to Bronn saying, treat a whore like a queen and a queen like a whore. Huh, I don't remember that. That's funny. <laughs> he said that. Maybe I got that from someplace. <laughs> it's a me, Dario. It's a me, Dario. No boombox outside Danny's window, just a bag full of the severed heads of her enemies. <laughs> eh. I mean, yeah, no, you know, yeah. I guess it's poetic, at least. Like, I always feel bad for Tyrion so many times, especially in this episode. Yeah, Kraken, direwolves. <laughs> yeah, Kraken, direwolves, fire! <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> Roses. <laughs> number two. <laughs> <laughs> Who does number two work for? <laughs> <laughs> you want to know my secret identity? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Batman. That's his pickup line. Hey, baby, want to know my secret identity? 
Yeah, I, I I paused it and did a screen grab and brought it into Photoshop and nice. mirror like flipped it and played with the contrast to read it out better and it really just doesn't say anything. But I tried. So I don't I don't think that Ice is Dawn, but I think that Dawn may be the original Ice, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did write down that like uh, Gendry gets his dick sucked by leeches. <laughs> <laughs> Not by a person though. Ilan Payne just had like a really long, like freakishly long Gene Simmons tongue. <laughs> oh man, it's possible. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> <laughs> baby rubber, rubber baby buggy bubbles, rubber baby buggy bubbles. <laughs> Irish wristwatch. Irish wristwatch. Okay. <laughs> I, I saw recently that, um, actually, I over the past couple of weeks, I watched the, the X-Men animated series from 1992. Oh, yeah? 92 to 97. And, uh, yeah, there's five seasons. It's actually really good. Yeah, I um, remember it. Wolverine is the shit. <laughs> <laughs> His voice, the voice actor is just amazing. Let's go, bub. Let's go, yeah. <laughs> you, what does he say? Egg sucking. <laughs> yeah, he, he says yeah, a bunch of like you. things that are like not curse words, but they almost yeah. said like. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so um, so they have this saga called the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah, Jane Gray, Jean Gray gets you know sort of taken over by this entity called the Phoenix, which is protecting this uh, this crystal. And I just found out since uh, since. Sophie Turner Sansa played Jean Grey in one of the recent X-Men movies. They're actually coming out with a new X-Men movie, The Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Um, so she's going to be... You know, the Dark Phoenix is... is Jean Grey as The Dark Phoenix is rated as one of the top five villains in X-Men, apparently. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see if Sansa can go dark side and be like a like a dark, you know, like anti-hero or villain. So, yeah, it'll be, oh, it'll be interesting man. to see... Uh, Sophie Turner as the Dark Phoenix oh, in man. the next X-Men release. It's going to be pretty cool, huh? Yeah, dude, I, I really, I was not a fan of her in that last X-Men movie, but I felt like they didn't really give her a chance to, Yeah, like, she, did, she didn't really have any material. Yeah. I remember. Like, she, she looked, she seemed very much like this earlier Sansa where she's just unsure of herself, and, like, it just didn't seem to fit right with the character, but mm-hmm. now that she's, like, shown this range where she's, like, starting to show you know how intelligent she is like like i could really see season seven sansa as like the phoenix so right yeah yeah that'd be cool oh man yeah it's gonna be neat i'm looking forward to that uh, especially after having just watched uh that in the cartoon yeah i guess the people tend to rate the x-men animated series as the number two superhero cartoon um after batman the animated series which yeah is widely known as like the, the top uh, cartoon hero show. I yeah, I, I think that they were probably the most influential. I don't know if the old X Men cartoon was at the best, probably the best theme song. I'll give it that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As as like uh, it was a product of its time, you know. Yeah. Like, but but aside from that, like it was pretty good. Like, uh, yeah, like you know, like Jubilee character is like, eh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But uh, Wolverine is awesome, man. Yeah, it's it. It takes a lot to be like to seem like that tough and intimidating when you're wearing like yellow spandex with like 
blue like, <laughs> blue like speedo over it. He really does nail it though. Um, yeah. Actually, if have you did you ever see the uh, the unaired um, original pilot for the animated series? I don't, I don't think so. It was a couple years before they actually released the animated series. There was like a production company change, and they ended up changing it entirely. So Wolverine is like Australian. Oh, I have um, seen that. I thought I thought that was just like a completely different thing. Like yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. Um, mm-hmm. the animation I think was better quality, and Magneto yeah. was just like fucking crazy in it. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I really <laughs> like the uh, animated series though. It's good. Yeah. All bit. right. Oh, sorry. You gonna say something? No, I've always got a lot to say, but I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, Arya is going to... Maisie Williams is going to play Wolfsbane in the new Mutants movie. What? Yeah. Mutants movie? Is that like X-Men related? Yeah, the new Mutants. It's like a, an oh, offshoot the of the X-Men. Interesting. That's yeah. cool, man. And so she's Wolfsbane. playing... Yeah, this character who like <laughs> literally like reference. becomes a wolf. And so, yeah. I like how like the all the... All the classic mythologies of modern times are like grafting themselves onto Game of Thrones lately by like just putting Game of Thrones actors and like yep. um, locations even in them. Like Star Wars is doing it, X Men, and it's kind of like acknowledging Game of Thrones is this like force to be reckoned with when yeah. like X Men and Star Wars are both trying to like graft onto your mythology. Big time. Um, I I personally think that you know Game of Thrones is going to go down as being as big as Star Wars, which is, like, huge, you know what I mean? Dude, I really think Game of Thrones... I'm sorry, people, but it's so much better than Star Wars. <laughs> like, <laughs> really, like... It's the best. I, I recently read a criticism of Star Wars by George R. R. Martin, and he's, like... Interesting. He, he's, like, saying that, like, okay, let's face it, like, Star Wars, it, it was, like, it was good for... It's mostly just this classic because it was all we had at the time. It was like the only real portrayal of like crazy science fiction that we had in movies. But like, I mean, you know, the first two movies are good. The second one's really good, but like, yeah, second one's really good. Yeah. He he doesn't like, he doesn't like shit on the third one, like overtly, but he kind of does by just not acknowledging it as good. (laughs) Like he's like, the first two were good. The second one was really good. And he just doesn't say anything about the third. I guess he doesn't like Ewoks. (laughs) Yeah, they kind of fucked up with that whole, like, crazy, like, Ewok song and dance type shit. <laughs> well, you know I, mean? I think George, I think that Lucas realized that it was, like, the kids and families were his primary audience, and apparently it was supposed to take a much darker turn originally. Right, that's what I'm hoping we see with um, Benioff and Vice um, oh. taking over, you know, they're... Dude. They have been hired to write a series of Star yeah. Wars movies. So that is like the ultimate combination of franchises right there. Yeah. I'm hoping that we get Star Wars, but with like a more dark, gritty tone to it and sort of a Game of Thrones style. Yeah. I don't think would they would have hired them if they didn't intend right? on it. Like there's so much potential for Star Wars to be dark and have gravitas, you know? Like Yeah. Really, um, you ever see Star Wars The Force? Um, sorry. Star Wars The Legacy Revealed? Not sure. It's on YouTube. Check it out. It's worth watching. It's uh, it's about how uh, it's like it's child's play compared to George R. R. Martin, but it's about how um, what's his face George Lucas incorporated all kinds of mythical archetypes and shit into Star Wars, like the dragon dragons. You know, in in mythology, they'll hoard, they hoard gold and maidens, right? Yeah. And then and then you have Jabba the Hutt, the dragon with C three PO and Leia. 
captive. You know? Yeah, and, and then the Rancor monster is also kind of like the dragon. Yeah, um, and then you have like the cowboy. Yeah, Han Solo, the comedic duo R two D two and C three PO, the the hero's journey, Luke Skywalker. You know, like a whole bunch of things like that. Darth Vader, the apocryphal father, like with the you know like the the apocryphal voice, kind of like Macbeth's father in, in Macbeth. Um, there's, oh, it's man. worth watching. It's on YouTube for free. I think Star Wars: The Legacy Revealed. Oh What's hey, I, I forgot to mention uh, Stannis is kind of like Macbeth, and Melisandre is kind of like Lady Macbeth. Oh, it's been so long since I've read it. I don't even really remember it, which is a shame because that has King Duncan in it. So after oh it, man, yeah, the crib notes. It's like he's like struggling with this whole like thing about like killing people and doing all these things. And, like while uh, his wife urges him on to kill all his rivals so he can become king. Are, are you a fan of of Christopher Walken? I, I don't do that great. A walking impression, but uh, yeah, I, I love Christopher Walken. Yeah, you ever see the movie Scotland, Pennsylvania? No. Check it out. It's like it's like modern day telling of Macbeth. Um, instead of it, like it has Dunkin's Donuts instead of Dunkin' Donuts, it's like D-U-N-C. Oh wow! Uh, it's pretty cool. The whole the whole soundtrack, the entire soundtrack is Bad Company, um, <laughs> which I like because I like Bad Company. Um, but yeah, it's, it's worth watching. Star Wars: The Legacy Revealed in Scotland, Pennsylvania. To, there's your homework. Oh man. Okay. So, are you up? Are you familiar with the Darth Jar Jar theory? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If not, that was going to be my homework for you. But okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a really strong theory. It's super I strong. I, I believe yeah. in it. I fully subscribe to it. And yeah. uh, I think J.J. Abrams like well, he says he likes the Darth Jar Jar theory, and I think he wasn't like, that like. Yeah, I heard there was like original intent for that, like potentially something like that. Like, I don't know, but you heard that J.J. Abrams likes it. Yeah, and I really think he he sort of plugged it in when he made The Force Awakens. Like he 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 put the seeds there. I don't know if Disney fully embraces it, but they did put Jar Jar in their villains pack of figures. Really? They, yeah. That's fucking wild. It doesn't dude. say villains pack on it, but there's just two two sets of collectors packs, and one that has all heroes, the other has all villains, has all villains and Jar Jar. Jar Jar. Yeah. It's funny because it could be looked at two ways. It could be looked at like, oh, it's a hint towards Jar- Darth Jar Jar, or it could just be that Jar Jar was like the the villain of the series, like the worst character that everybody hates that he fucked up. the Yeah, series. and <laughs> I, like I a actually villain. I, I read that like Lucas. The only reason he actually changed it was because his son likes Jar Jar, and <laughs> so he didn't want to create like he didn't want to destroy this character that his son likes so much. Destroy him by by what? Making him a Sith Lord? Yeah, making him a Sith Lord. So, did you hear that that was the original intent as well? Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, the whole okay, thing. I, I actually, I, I mean, have... I, all the details make sense. Like that, he's like stumbling around, acting like a moron, but he's really like doing all this good, like hardcore he, shit. Yeah, he's doing uh, like drunken master style. Kung yeah, yeah, Fu, exactly. And like he does like this one like jump that com- that perfectly is like like for it's like completely the same jump that Luke Skywalker does off of of Jabba's barge in the desert. Like, when he jumps off the plank, Jar Jar does the same exact move. That's cool. That that reminds me of, um, there were videos analyzing Rey in between The Force Awakens and Episode um, 8, 
where they're there's like they're comparing her to like trying to figure out who her parents were and there was obi-wan was one of them and i think it's on this channel stupid the stupendous wave on youtube really good star wars anal- analysis videos but he had a video suggesting that maybe um ray could be a palpatine Ooh. and and yeah it's good you should watch it one I'll of the, bet she is one of the most intriguing pieces of evidence is her the specific lightsaber move that she does which is like a thrusting move we the only person in all of star wars that we've seen do that move was was emperor palpatine wow yeah. i buy it i buy it totally yeah it's pretty wild so check that out check it out just type in um ray palpatine and you can find the video oh man yeah, let's let's wrap this show up <laughs> all right man yeah <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.